Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 123 of the big show, Cement Forcer Base Podcast, and coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there on Wednesday? Getting ready. Can you feel it? Are you getting ready? July 17th, high noon, gloves drop for the 5th annual Bob Probert Invitational Twitter Tournament. If you're listening to this and you're not on Twitter... Sign up. Takes 20 seconds. Just be the anonymous egg. Be ABC123. Get, follow the fourth line voice account so you can vote every day. The, the, uh, a new round is started every 24 hour period. And it's, uh, and it's a 64 man March Madness style bracket. And, uh, we'll see who's left at the end. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a, it's a fun thing to do on social media. And, uh, like I said, I've been doing it for five years now and I've done a number. I've done power forward tournaments, minor, the personal favorite of mine, the minor league mayhem tournament, which will be happening again, but it'll be in, uh, August. Uh, but this one is of course the Bob Probert where it's 64 of the NHL's all time toughest guys. And, uh, it has won, been won before by, let's see. Brian McGratton won the first one. Tony Twist won the second one. Dave Semenko won the third one. And Derek Bugard won last year. So, very good company there. So, we'll see. Do they repeat? One of them repeat? Or uh, or a two-time winner? We'll see. It's up to you, the listeners, the voters. But uh, what I like to do is, of course, it's a computer-generated uh, bracket. Um, I had put the video up online of the first of how I do it, and the very first matchup, what turned out to be Mick Fakoda and Nick Fatiu. If for those who did not see that video, uh, basically, I just it's I take a piece of loose leaf, write out number one through sixty-four, throw the guys down there, then go to a computer generator number generator on the internet, and boom, boom, and whatever two numbers spits out, just go whatever it correlates the the name beside that number on the sheet. That's who's fighting. So there's no rhyme or reason to who uh, to who fights who. And, and actually, the computer spit out some pretty good uh, matchups this year for the first round. And because over the years, I've had people like, "Why would you have him? You should seed them." It's like I said, I don't know how much time you guys think I have. I mean, to seed, then somebody'd be mad about the seeding. So it's like this is just the way to do it. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason. Unfortunately, there's some really good first round matchups with guys, and unfortunately, there's a solid heavyweight going home uh, after round one. And that's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a fun exercise. And, and we can we get to talk about guys that uh, aren't, aren't brought up on Twitter very often these days. So, um, and what I'd like to do is uh, bring in Steve from whenprobertwasking.com um, to, to help me break down the first round matchups. And I get his feelings on the fights. And, and I, I'll always say this year, I said I sound like a, 
when he's talking, I'm like, I sound like a sycophant. I think I agree with him on like every one, but like one. So I think obviously Steve and I sort of look at the fight game sort of the same, uh, which was like, like really dawned on me uh, as we were recording. It's like, yeah, we sort of have the same view on things. I think for the most part, um, but yeah, what do you guys think? And, uh, and like I said, and it was, and it was fun just to talk about the guy, not so much just that matchup that they were having, but just the, that guy in general, like it was fun to talk about Gino Ojic for a while or Glenn Cochran and, and, uh, just our feelings on them and what have you. So, um, yeah, this is a really fun episode. I liked, I really enjoyed doing it. Um, like I said, this is episode 123, so please go back and check out the back catalog. Um, every Wednesday is interview day and then every Sunday is a rant episode and where I talk about whatever top 10 lists, um, that I found or, uh, articles that I found and just ranting about whatever happens to be topical. Um, this Sunday, I can already tell you, I'm going to be talking about the Tampa Bay lightning and the Stanley cup and, uh, yeah. And a number, number of different things. So, uh, you know, whatever comes up definitely, uh, maybe a Don Cherry top 10 that uh, good old Tony sent me. I might do that. So, uh, check me out on Sunday. Um, also, like I said, with the back catalog, John Morasti, Steve McIntyre, Joey Tedarenko, I've talked to all of them. Definitely check it out. Uh, some great stuff. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to go too long in this intro because Steve and I talk for like two hours, so I won't go too long. Um, like I said, though, to wrap, uh, to get going, remember the Hockey Podcast Network, uh, there's over 50 shows in the network, whatever team you're a fan of, uh, all the NHL teams are represented, so check it out. Um, yeah, my boy Joe Lazito there at the Coliseum Chronicles. Of course, his last, he's on holidays. Tough life, but Joe's on holidays. So, um, no episode this week, but, uh, he, well, I think he, he did more than enough on his last episode where Joe did his actual top 10 all time Islander enforcers. And I think it's like three hours. Joe had enough for three episodes. So he gave you enough content to cover for like two weeks while he's gone. So, uh, but it was a great list. And like I said, Joe's got a great back catalog. Uh, actually, I don't, it's an Islander Enforcer podcast. I don't know if I said that, but, um, yeah. So like Fakota, Bolton, Strudwig, um, yeah, he's, he's talked to them all and, and, and he does a great job and, uh, he's, he's got merch and, uh, I wonder if Joe's out in the lake in his Joe Lazito rubber dinghy. Joe's into rubbers. So yeah, I bet you. Will, Joe, will Joe's dinghy float? Who's gonna blow Joe? Who's gonna blow up Joe's dinghy? I don't know. All these and more. Give it a little zito. Uh, maybe Joel will answer him next episode when he when he talks. I didn't get Joe back on the show. I got to come up with a, a theme show where Lazito can show up and uh, you know I, I'd have him on this, but he'd have like you know every Islander finishing first, second, and third in the in the tourney. So actually, I'm gonna say. J- I think Steve and I are going to have a little heat with Joe after this episode's done. I'm not going to say any more, but, well, more Steve than me. I'm I'm stepping out of it. See the Teflon, how I just slid out of that? Definitely check out Coliseum Chronicles. Joe does a bang-up job. Oh, and the other mud show, he's recording half here and half there, but apparently it's coming back. Five for Fighting podcast with old Alec there in, in Myrtle Beach or Lando Lakes or whatever shanties, you know, whatever side of the road. Wi-Fi he can come up with is where he is. So, yeah, but I mean, he has a great back catalog too. Rob Ray, Yablonski, Segroy. I was looking at it the other day. I was like, Jesus, he does have a really good back catalog. No, in all seriousness, Alec always did a great job, and it's good to have him back. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, 
to his return. Like I said, the more the merrier in terms of the fight game. We gotta, you know, cause not, cause now what? That's three of us, right? Out of this broad landscape of podcasting. So, um, yeah, definitely check out his show. And Fred and Dave at the Slewfoot show. It's a current show. Cause anybody that knows my, in, my, uh, intro and my shout outs will, will notice that one is missing. And that is because, as I'm recording this on Tuesday, um, they are actually, this, their last episode is tonight. And that is the Obey the Puck show with Dan, Paul, and Kelly. Um, yeah, I think I asked Dan how many episodes he put in. I believe it was like eight years they've done the show. So hundreds and hundreds of episodes. And um, yeah, and on a personal note, I'd like to thank uh, uh, Dan and Paul and Kelly Um Especially Dan, because I mean, it's kind of his show and, and everything. And he was really, um, that was the first, before I ever had a podcast or anything. It was just, I was just on the internet, whatever. Dan had me on the show a couple times and got me, because I had always kind of, yeah, this podcasting thing would be kind of fun and whatever. And Dan had me on. And, uh, you know, I, I always appreciated that. And, um, yeah, he kind of, uh, um, and he, and he, when I was setting up my stuff, he helped me out and, so I always appreciated that. So, uh, the rest of the, the rest of the podcasting world might not appreciate that, what Dan created, but no, in all seriousness, it was, I always, uh, thank Dan for that. And, uh, I always appreciated it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no, they're not going, I mean, Dan's got more, sh- I mean, he loses this show, but his other six are still going. I mean, Dan, you know, yeah, Dan, uh, he's got, he's got more shows on the go than anybody I know. But, uh, in terms of this one in particular, um, yeah, they had a hell of a run and I always enjoyed their show. Like I said, very nice people were always very nice to me. And, uh, yeah. And I know they're not completely going away or anything, but, uh, oh, I think Kelly might, she might have enough, but, uh, I'm sure Dan and Paul in some reincarnation of something will, will be around. But, uh, in terms of the actual Obey the Puck show, it is done after today. So I said my Obey the Puck show merchandise, my t-shirt, uh, I'll, I'll have to put in safekeeping. It could be a collector's item. But, uh, congratulations guys on, on a, like you said, eight years. I mean, that's a, I better not be doing this in eight years. I'll tell you that. I don't know. But, uh, all the best, uh, to you guys and your other shows. And once again, thank you very much for everything you did for me. But, uh, with that, let's get into this, uh, Bob, the fifth annual Bob Probert Invitational Bracket Breakdown with myself and Steve when, when Probert was king.com. Another website I suggest you check out. Steve's an excellent writer. You'll enjoy his articles if you're an old school fan. And, uh, yeah, and I will talk to you guys on Sunday. Thanks, everybody. All right, here we are in the fourth line voice for the uh, annual Bob Probert, the fifth annual Bob Probert Invitational Bracket Breakdown. And I gotta go, I gotta call in the, the heavy gun, the big guns, like I always do. Steve from WhenProbertWasKing.com is on the line. Steve, how you doing tonight? Darren, how you doing, buddy? Very good. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on, doing this. It's, it's, this is getting old hat here. We've done this a few times. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, a lovely little hockey fight tradition we got going on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, really looking forward to it. And every uh, off-season here, or off-hockey season, got to keep Twitter... Uh, Twitter bouncing, uh, and we'll, you know, talk about some old guys, uh, for a couple weeks anyway. So for those tuning in that are like, what are these two idiots talking about? Well, what we're going to talk about here on Twitter every year, we do, I do an annual 
Bob Prober Invitational Tournament. It's like the March Madness bracket. Take 64 guys, and we just uh, voted on down to, until one remains. And uh, it creates a lot of conversation. It gets some old names flying around the internet that they that usually don't fly around the internet anymore with these young kids. You know, there's not there's not a lot of talk of uh, uh, of Glenn Cochran anymore, unfortunately. But for a couple weeks, there will be. And uh, damn straight, yeah. There's going to be a Ben Wilson awareness post. I already know that's coming. <laughs> that that campaign, Steve has spearheaded that campaign over the years. Ben Wilson awareness. I think it might have worked a little bit though. I think we got some of these young kids maybe looking up some YouTube clips of uh, of Ben Wilson. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and it's just like and like I said, it's a, a fun little uh, exercise that we that we do and. Uh, so I wanted to do the, uh, take this time to Steve and I will break down the uh, first round matchups and kind of uh, give our opinion on the guys, just some blurbs on some of these guys. And uh, Steve's got a lot more knowledge in that area than I do. I can tell you that. And uh, I always enjoy your breakdown of things. So uh, how about we get into it? Absolutely. Bring it on. There we go. Well, of course, the first matchup I I actually videotaped this year because I've actually been asked a lot of times over the years. Well, how how could you make that match up? And the, are you going to seed them? Seed them? It's hard enough just to come up with sixty four guys to keep you assholes happy, let alone seed them for God's sake. Because then people would be mad at how I seeded them. So there's no way I can win. So it's just it's random, folks. So I showed how I do it. I write out the sixty four names on a piece of loose leaf, assign a number to each guy, go to the number generator, boom boom, hit it twice, whatever numbers spit out, whatever matches up on the loose leaf. That's who's fighting. So I, I videotaped the very first, or I uh, took my I videotaped. Here, listen to me. I'm already, you know, yeah, I got the beta out. No, it's okay. I used my <laughs> phone and uh, recorded the first matchup. And the first matchup of the fifth annual Bob Probert Invitational is Mick Fakota versus Nick Fatiu. The Battle of New York, Steve. Man, you know, it, it's, it's, I love Mick Fakota, and I know he gets a lot of flack for the body slam technique and everything like that. But when he when he exchanged, he was he was a pretty good fighter. But at prime, Fatiu was kind of a beast, you know, in the NHL in the late seventies, you know, with the New York Rangers. So I just really don't see any scenario with with Vukota is able to, you know, outdo Fatiu in this matchup. I kind of you know think it would be cool seeing Fatiu sort of with the shadow box and square off, you know, kind of you know getting ready to to pick apart Vukota, uh, you know, so. I, I don't know. I just I think Fatio runs away with this one. I think this is kind of a big one for him. Well, and with coming up with that, uh, Steve is now off Joel Lazito's Christmas card list. <laughs> That's it. You're not. You're not. You're, I, I just gotta call him as I see him. Yeah, no Coliseum Chronicles coffee mug in your Christmas stocking this year. <laughs> but uh, yeah, old Mick, old Mick. There. I mean, you know, Saskatoon boy. Uh, but uh, yeah. And and over the years, I mean, on the even on this podcast, well, you even when you were on doing your top twenty-five, you and I talked about the Fatio thing because you and I being around yeah. on the old message board days and everything else, that was a bone of contention with a lot of people. And Nick was a very polarizing figure on those fight boards because you have some guys, they, I mean, they'll have them in the top five all time. You have other guys like yourself and me and you where. I don't have him in my top twenty-five. Um, he's a polarizing guy, yeah. Fatio. 
he he was you know it's, and it almost it was almost like a like lions were drawn in the sand you know you kind of had your fatigue guys and you had guys that just sort of like you know were almost like anti-fatigue guys and um you know it, i think a lot of the problem is the the lack of like true fights like he he doesn't have a ton of great like fights that you know we can actually see a lot of the his reputation was made when he was in the you know WHA and even prior, before that you know and there's no video of that and I think you know in the hobby you know the hockey fight hobby it's all about what you can see a lot of times and I think we unfairly punish you know fighters like Playfair for, for you even you know uh, you know for that lack of footage um, you know, so it's sometimes when you hear all these things about Fatou, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, we stop it. Not, you know, Terry O'Reilly was not afraid of Fatou, cut the shit, you know, and all that stuff. You, you know, but a lot of times people would sort of pump that angle with him, like, oh, well, he didn't have a lot of fights because, you know, a lot of guys didn't want to take him on, which is true, you know, but at the same time, I don't think Fatou was also one of those guys that really tried to mix it, you know, like, you know, he didn't have that edge like a Brown or a Cemento, you know, he wasn't one of those kind of characters, so. You know, so it's unfortunate, but I do think in a straight-up fight, I think he had, you know, fast hands. He had, like, kind of a, a unique boxing style. You know, you didn't really, you know, I, I, I still, you know, recall seeing that Ben Wilson fight on, like, a greatest hockey fight tape, you know, against Fatihu. And he's trying to come to grips with this guy who's just trying to wing hooks at him from outside. And it's so foreign to hockey fighters. You know, you, you're kind of taught, like, get your anchor, you know, hold on, get your grip get your balance set and then you can begin punching and here's Fatihu just winging hooks at you as you're trying to come in you know so it's he, he, I thought that was very unique of him and you know it does he does become polarizing because you know the, was there that big of a fear factor with him I think that's when people start to question you know especially the younger generation they kind of like what do you mean O'Reilly and Prober and all these guys were in fear of him what what did he do you know so but you know I, I think over the years I went from holy shit, this is actually not true, this is wrong, somebody started some campaign to pump this guy's tires, I don't know what the deal is, there's a conspiracy going on here, to eventually becoming much more appreciative of him as I as I learned from one of those old veteran posters and all those, you know, you start hearing the stories and start seeing the stories confirmed in a lot of cases. You know, you start to kind of like, oh, well, maybe there's a kernel of truth there with some of these, these you know, with this myth about Fatihu, you know, and everything like that, so... You know, he is a polarizing guy, but, you know, I, I do think he could beat a lot of great all-time fighters in a straight run fight. Yep. No, I agree. And uh, and that's the thing. And I'll, and I'll say this in uh, going off back to the tournament thing, and, and you had mentioned it briefly there with Fatio with the lack of footage. And that's the thing. When I do these tournaments, I always get the – and I've put them in, and I haven't put them in some years. And um, – but this year it's always like, oh, where's gas off or where's this guy or where's that guy? And it's like, I, I, I get it, but it's like, it's very hard to do these tournaments when there's no footage to show anyone. Like, I would exactly, love to put yeah. gas off in here. Well, I would just like, as from a, from a fight fan, I would love to see gas off fights more than the, what, the three or four that are out there. Because, because again, he has the huge rep, and it, there really isn't anything out there. Same as the Playfair thing, like you brought up. A lot of his stuff isn't out there, and I'd love to see it because it's like you hear all this stuff, and you can't yay or nay it because it's like, well, I don't know, you know, you've never seen it. So, uh, yeah. So unfortunately, that's what happens, right? And that's why in the in the case of the tournament, although I do have Playfair and I have Ferguson in too, I guess, but. Um, 
yeah, some of the older guys I'd like like I'd like to put in, but they're just they're, yeah, there just isn't footage of them, so it's just like nah, I won't. But uh, yeah, but you with, with yeah, I can understand a guy like like Ferguson having him in there just because of it. Like he was the man, you know, like yeah, that like era, you know. So I can I can understand that. And technically, there is a handful of of his scraps available. You know, if you really are trying to you know find get to get some glimpse of him. You know, and the same thing with Playfair. There's enough where you can kind of get a feel, but, you know, a lot of it is missing, you know, but unfortunately. Same thing with a guy like Fred, one of those West Coast guys. There seems to be a lot of holes in their footage, you know. Um, you know, and it, it is unfortunate that we kind of, you know, a lot of guys do it. Like, you know, he, he's some younger generation. What Larry Playfair? What did he do? And they're like, oh, come on. You know, so you kind of, the, the, if a lot of times you get some of the fans that are honestly try to hunt for that information. You know, like, oh, I heard he fought Semenko. Let me go find out how that is, because there's no footage. You know, maybe there's some, some um, you know, uh, interviews out there or articles, you know, explaining what happened in that fight, you know, some details. And, you know, we actually, I think SC had a great interview with Playfair years back, you know, where he kind of corroborated a lot of information with the Wensink fights, you know, the Semenko fights, Jimmy Mann fights that aren't on video. So it's cool if you can get like almost like a firsthand account like that. I mean, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't happen all the time, but you know, so it does help fill the gaps a little bit. No, absolutely, absolutely. Ah, uh, all right. Wow. Uh, next fight. That's a little more modern for you folks. The Grim Reaper, Stu Grimson versus John Scott. You know, this is this fight here. Just because of the size, these two titans basically. You have a big John Scott, or, you know, Stu Grimson, and you know, I, I don't know. I think I like John Scott. There was a part of me that you know, for a little while, there wasn't too sure if he was like kind of like the real deal. But I really thought he was a, a real scary guy, real big tough guy with good power. And like, even though he wasn't an all-out brawler, he was you know, I kind of good at letting the fight sort of come to him, and then just taking you know, little by little, you know, working you with right hands. Um, now, saying that, it's, I'm just, he has a puncher's chance against Grimson, and this would be a good matchup because anything can happen here. I think this would be close. I'm actually going to go with Grimson in this one. Um, I think Grimson has very long arms and an ability to switch hands that could pro- cause problems for Scott. But at the same time, I mean, you know, it's a hockey fight. Anything could happen. This could be raise a, you know, ra- you know, raise a shop decision or, you know, one of them lands one right on the button. Yeah, this is a really interesting matchup. I'm like, well, because normally, of course, Scott, obviously being how big six seven, um, normally he'd have. I mean, he's got the side, the weight advantage, obviously, but I mean, uh, size wise, you know, what's Grimson six five? So I mean, it's really, you know, there isn't really an, any advantage for Scott. I mean, they're pretty much the same height, give or take. So that's which is rare, right? Normally, Scott's always the biggest guy in the fight. So. Um, I mean, weight-wise, he's obviously... I think he's a lot heavier than Stu was, but... Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I tell you... It's funny, because I was watching some Grimson stuff a while back, and it was... Um, why was it? I can't remember why I was watching it now, but it was kind of some older Chicago stuff, and um, you could always see... He was he was always willing. Stu was always willing, fighting everybody, and but he kind of had that balance, right? He had that little bit, bit of a balance issue, but uh, oh, yeah. once he once he kind of figured it out, and he le- I think I don't want to say he learned to use his reach, but he kind of like when he got it all together and got to, kind of got to Hartford, those Car- Hartford Carolina, 
and he really started like putting a hammer down on guys. It's like, yeah, I mean, you get them long arms going. I I can't see Scott holding them off. I really can't. Yeah, I, I it's it's interesting too because one of the things was I was going through these matchups and you went into like, like I think I was looking at a future matchup. I think it was McSorley against Shelley, but. I was thinking of guys of like Scott's era. You know, they kind of a lot of them adopted that sort of like, you know, string them out type of style. You know, where they would sort of, you know, turn, they wouldn't be square up with an opponent using two hands to tie them up. They would just use one on the collar and sort of stretch them out and use the jersey jab. You know, and use the reach and the long range right hands. You know, that seemed to be like a go-to tactic that a lot of fighters began to adopt. Jody Shelley was like that. You know, you started, McGratton had a, had a great little like, you know, one-two punch kind of thing going on. So I always thought it was interesting how guys like Grimson or McSorley, you know, in that time frame, how they would react, you know, to the fighters that did adopt that sort of stretch them out type of style. You know where they're sort of kind of using that that left, not just to kind of hold you off, but to jab with it as well. You know how how do they fare? How do they react? I I find that sort of interesting, and that's one of the things I thought about with this matchup here. I just think, for instance, size. He, I mean, if he was six two, six three, you could say, "Geez, yeah, Scott's got a big size, you know, advantage against him." But but Grimson was big with long arms, and he was one of those guys that, you know, could kind of take the fight to you from from both sides, you know, not just right-handed. He could switch to his left just as well. So, yeah, I kind of, I like Gunson on this one. Yep, yep. Uh, the next right, Gino Ojic versus Jay Miller. You know, this is a, this is a, kind of a interesting contrast of styles, right? Um, you kind of have the wild, you know, brawling Gino against the more, you know, sort of disciplined, technically savvy Jay Miller, you know, sort of, you know, kind of like a stamina technical guy, you know. Um, and I kind of see, I don't know, I see this playing out like Audrey just sort of all over Miller at the start, you know, lefts and rights and shedding the gear and, you know, wildly taking, taking them on. And then uh, Miller just sort of taking it but weathering it and then sort of coming back a little bit late, using that stamina but just not doing enough. You know, to kind of outdo the damage that Logic did, so I think Logic has a money now. Really, that's that's interesting. I, here, I here I thought the Boston boy, you'd be all over Jay Miller. I thought you'd be taking Jay, but uh, yeah, th- it'd be interesting. Yeah, like you said, I think yeah, Ojik kind of has that initial flurry, and uh, yeah, this this is a really interesting matchup. Yeah, Logic is a wild card style fighter because he did you know the same thing with like Masoli, uh, even Probert, you know those guys, and and I know that. A lot of guys, when they think of these hypothetical matchups, they think of this very sterile environment where they're in this sort of circle and they square off equally, you know, and they don't lose their gear and they trade like, you know, straight up men, you know, and then it's broken up and you declare a winner. But a lot of times in hockey fighting, it's definitely not like that. The guys are seeking advantages and guys are doing things and you know, guys should, you know, tightening up their jerseys and shutting their jerseys and, you know, doing shit like that, you know. So, you know, I... I always think of these hypothetical matchups. That's coming into play. You know, if these guys are fighting in a straight up fight, you know, I gotta, I gotta assume I'm just gonna, you know, get rid of that jersey. I'm, you know, he's, and he, I gotta assume he's gonna do what he would normally do in a lot of his fights. He would have that excellent, you know, wild burst, you know, at the very beginning. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I'm thinking happens here. And Miller weathers it. You know, he's a tough guy. He hangs to us. He tries to come back, but just with not the same kind of gusto. 
that Audrey has. And I think he kind of edges out Miller here. All right, I get you, I get you. Um, next, what, uh, old Tiger. Tiger Williams versus Paul Laws. All right. Well, see, the thing is, I hate this. I love Tiger when it's, like, I, when I think of Tiger, the fighter, I'm thinking of, like, the Toronto version. You know, when yeah. he was, that's when I think of him at his peak. You know, he had, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was prone to wrestling, but he was also, he had some good toe-to-toe fights, too. He, you know, going to war with Ben Wilson, and, you know, he had some, you know, you know, just good toe-to-toe exchanges in some of those fights as a Maple Leaf, and, but after that, he seemed to become more, of a wrestler grappler type, you know, so, you know, when I think of Tiger, I really liked him as a, as a Maple Leaf. So it's really hard because I really think Paul Moss is one of the more underrated guys that we, we don't really talk to him too much about. Yep. Um, he's probably got, you know, one of the more underrated power punchers of all time. Um, he doesn't really get a lot of press. If he was in New York or Boston or Philly, the guy would be a god. Yep. Um, but, you know, he played in Florida, you know, out in expansion Florida, and he was also kind of a, just a business-like guy, you know, ho-hum, did his thing, you know, uh, but he had incredible, you know, KOs and TKOs and, um, you know, he had some, you know, surprising victories, you know, so I, I kind of like him um, in this fight here against Tiger Williams. He's going to get that ragdolling style, you know, where he sort of just pull you off balance and then try to land the big bombs, and I, I think he uh, takes this one against Tiger. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Paul Laws, like, criminally underrated Paul Laws. Yeah. For you folks listening out there, I mean, people that listen to this show know who Paul Laws is. I know that. But do yourself a favor and go back on YouTube and just, like, go down that rabbit hole. Seriously. God, bad dude, man. You'll be surprised. Um, next one. This is an interesting one. I, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on this one, but... Uh, uh, how your take, but Darren Langdon versus Chris Nyland. You know, this is this is a great matchup. I almost thought this was like, oh my god, Darren must have, you know, snuck this matchup in here. This is too no. Too, I, you know, when it spit out, I was like, holy shit! I'm like, I, yeah, this is interesting. You basically have two of two of the you know better uh, technical fighters that you know we we actually discuss when we when we talk about technical fighters or when we bring up the term technical. I know that was term. There was a term always thrown around back in the message boards days. Yep, um, yep. You know, but a technical fighter in my eyes was always the kind of guy that maybe he didn't have you know the big huge power knockout punch or you know he didn't have six foot five size wingspan, but he was a smart guy that could beat you a lot of different ways. He was great at de- you know tying you up, and there's certain little traits that you pick up that all of them sort of have, and it's usually they can tie up very well. They can tie up different ways. They have great stamina. You know, it's guys like Darren Langan, Tim Hunter, Chris Nyland, even Jay Miller would be mentioned in there. You know, guys like that sort of fit that mold. Um, like Kelly Chase would be another guy that I would think of as a great technical fighter. You know, um, you know, so these guys could beat you with brains over brawn. And, you know, that and these guys helped, for me as a fan of hockey fighting, they made it more than just two guys slugging it out. They turned it into an art form for me. You know, and seeing guys like Tim Hunter, you know, adopt that cross grip maneuver, and seeing you know, seeing Langdon use his stamina to beat guys, you know, to, to me they made it like poetry in motion. So that's that's what I always love about hockey fighting. It's not just two guys smashing each other in the face. You know, these guys were actually adopting a strategy in a fight, using tactics to win, and coming out on top a lot of the times. Um, so this is a great matchup for me. 
Um, I'm going to say, um, I'm sorry, Alec, but I like Langdon in this one. Um, I know Alec is not going to be too happy with me going against Knuckles, but I think Langdon, I think even though Nyland had great stamina, I think Langdon had greater stamina than most guys that had great stamina. I think he's probably the, the greatest all time in sort of uh, pushing that fight, taking the fight into the deep waters. You know, and I think he does just what he does, does against everyone else against Nyland. I think he just sort of slowly bides his time, lets Nyland work. You know, he kind of counters and then takes over the fight late. Just w- winning on points, nothing major, but a typical Langdon fight. Um, Langdon may be, you know, one of the great technical fighters of all time. Um, so i got to give him props and give him a nod in this fight. Yep. Yeah, yeah it'd be interesting, kind of that Nyland doing that, trying to, I think it was a lot of guys, like you said, <clears throat> he'd do that inside kind of whatever you want to call it, almost like dirty boxing style, and you know coming up from underneath, and and I think I think Langdon would be able to sort of weather all that, right? And whereas other guys, they're trying to separate to get the big punch in. Langdon's used to fighting like that too, and I think it'd be a real almost like a chess match kind of thing. And like you said, yeah, I think Langdon could draw draw it out, and. Uh, yeah, that's a good fight, though. That'd be a good one. I would have loved to have seen that, that prime, those two. That'd been interesting. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Just a, it would just been a, you know, just not just watching the guy, the two of them slug each other in the face or anything like that. It's watching the little battle for hand position, you know, like each of them, you know, two experienced technical guys like that. You know, to me, that's just where it's at, you know, as far as hockey fighting goes, you know. So that's why I love this matchup. But I got to give it a langer. There you go. Uh, the next one, Karen's Eric Karen's versus Todd Ewan. You know, Karen's at his peak was, you know, I was kind of high on uh, Eric Karen's in my uh, all-time list. You know, I really, I thought for like a five-year stretch there, he was a beast in the NHL, one of the top fighters in the game, uh, definitely a title contender Yep. Uh, for a year or two, you know. So I, I know a lot of people seem to kind of like look at those like early like TKO losses, you know, to Baruby and, you know, kind of have seemed like he had a like kind of like a glass chin big big strong guy but just couldn't take a shot but he's one of those sort of like comeback stories you know he really came into form 99 2000 you know and you know after that it seemed like as especially with the islanders he really really picked up steam i was really impressed with eric cans i'm kind of a cans guy i guess i didn't think i was but you know people were kind of like hey i can't believe you got eric cans in your top 25 and you don't have fatigue Oh, how could you? Blah, 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 blah. That's trash. I'm like, I got a lot of comments about that, but but I really did like Karen's for the, especially that little that run he had with the Islanders. I thought it was fantastic, you know. And um, I mean, let's be honest. I I love Schultz. He's another guy who I think who's real special when we talk about impact and fighting, you know. And I I mean, excuse me. Um, I'm, I'm I'm talking about Dave Schultz. I mean, I'm talking about uh, Todd Ewan. Todd Ewan, I think, was one of those guys that. He has a puncher's chance against almost anyone. We've seen that. But I also, I, I if he didn't get you with that big bomb, he was just going to go more into, uh, like, wrestle grappling mode. You know, so, I don't know. I, I like, I think Karen's was kind of somewhat underrated in a, to an extent, you know, and I kind of like the big wingspan, you know, the power. I think he, he takes this against Ewan, who... You know, has a, a puncher's chance, but you know, once the shots start coming in, I think he's going to start doing more wrestling. Yeah, like I was, I was, I said it. If it's Todd Ewan in St. Louis and Eric Karens at the Rangers, I think Ewan catches Karens 
Absolutely. But if it's in their primes, which I've always sort of... I mean, when people vote, they're going to do it however they want to vote. The way I've always of looked course. at this tournament is pick both guys in their prime and go from there. That's what I would do. So if that's how we're yeah, doing that's it... Kind of, that's how I look at it. Exactly. So if I'm doing that in my mindset, a, a prime Karens, I think, can can definitely hold off. Like, Ewan usually would probably be the bigger, stronger guy in the fight. Well, not this time. And I think he Karens should sort of avoid that grapple... And I think, yeah, I think Kieran's would take them in their primes for sure. But yeah, he, he could sw- switch hands too. He had a long like wingspan. I think he can present like a lot of problems. But Ewan is, I think, he probably doesn't get enough credit for it. I mean, obviously he had power, but he was also really, really strong guy. Like I mean, yeah. you don't last as long as he did in the NHL, and you, you very rarely saw him get waxed. You know, by by anybody. You know, he was always able to hold his own. You know, and occasionally he opened a can of whoop ass on a guy. Yeah. You know, um, but but I, I like you said, I, I just think a, an Islanders version is is too much. Yep, I agree. Um, okay, well, see now, Lazito was going to send you that coffee mug now, so <laughs> you're back on the on the good list. Um, Sean Thornton versus Ty Domi. You know, this is, you know, it's like another Boston guy I, I kind of have to go against. You know, it's, I love Sean Thornton, and I think he's like an underrated technical fighter. You could probably put him in that technical category because during his era was like sort of like the super heavyweight era, era right? You know, there are those guys like Bulgard and Scott running around. Yep. You know, and then you have Sean Thornton, who I'm not sure if he was six foot one, maybe six two tops, you know, um, but not, not obviously not one of the big guys, you know, and. He got by on, you know, just technical ability, you know, he got by on smarts, you know, and, uh, but against a guy like, like Domi, who I think, and I, I hate to say this, but he's been through the wars, you know, with some of the greatest fighters of all time, um, and would score, you know, the occasional upset against a Probert or a Brashear, you know, or something like that, you know, so I gotta, I gotta look at this fight here and think that Domi, Domi takes, you know, uh, Sean Thornton despite his best efforts. You know, I, I love sports. He's my guy. But I just, in this matchup, a prime Domi, smiling, all cocky, you know, talking shit the whole time and talking shit in the penalty box afterwards, too, and pissing off sports, too, and, you know, just rubbing it in because he lost, you know. So, you know, I think that uh, Domi takes this one, um, you know, uh, as much as I hate to go against my boy thoughts. Yeah, well, yeah, see, we're, 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 I'm agreeing with you on all of these. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, like you said, I think he gets a spin cycle going and, and, uh, yeah, with, a, with, uh, I'm in a full agreement, but, uh, the next one, Razzle Basil McRae versus Reed Lowe. This is, um, you know, I, I like Basil McRae. I, I guess there's another guy, McRae, who I'd probably put in the, um, technical category he's another guy that probably not great power or anything like that but had you know good stamina you know um used that cross grip too and you know was a very willing guy you know i thought he was kind of dumb man you know in minnesota even though they had churla you know running around i thought basil mccray was kind of like the real like heavyweight enforcer you know even though he wasn't the big knockout guy and he wasn't a huge monster or anything like that i kind of thought he was the guy you know that sort of jumped into that role and in sort of wrote shotgun i guess i don't know if that makes any sense but yeah um you know they, at that time you kind of had teams rolling with 
multiple enforcers and, you know, a guy like Churla and McCray could both sort of handle that one spot, you know, but it was good having them time, you know, teamed up together, like, you know, twist and chase or, you know, uh, Probert and Koser, you know, they were excellent one, two punch, you know, they both brought something different to the table as fighters and enforcers, you know, so I, I love seeing a supercharged Churla out there, you know, banging bodies and, and Basil McCray, the, you know, the grizzled vet, you know, uh, taking on the league heavyweights, you know, and he was a very open guy too, willing to, you know, exchange punches and, you know, I thought he was kind of a fringe at his best, probably a fringe top 10 guy, not not a major title threat or anything like that. Um, but Reed Lowe, on the other hand, I, I thought he was a legit top 10 guy uh, for a couple of years. Um, when he first broke in his first few years, I thought he was really, really good fighter. And um, I could see these two kind of getting into a few exchanges and seeing Lowe kind of p- pulling out on top each time. And so I I kind of like Lowe edging this one out. Not like major beatdown or anything, you know, because Basil was tough, but I like Lowe in this one. Yeah, see, I agree. And it's funny growing up when you get the old tapes and stuff, and it's funny how time changes you. I couldn't stand McCray. I couldn't stand him growing up. I don't know, but I don't know why. I just, for whatever reason, I just didn't like him. And then as time has gone on, I've gotten older, and uh, I definitely appreciate him now for sure. And, uh, yeah, like you said, fought everybody, tough dude, um, did it for a long time. Um, Reed Lowe, uh, I watched, of course, here in the Western Hockey League in Moose Jaw, I watched him. And then um, what really kind of got me to, like, he was in the NHL, I liked him and stuff, but I got his Wooster stuff, I started seeing that, and his AHL shit is unbelievable. If anybody listens. Go watch Reed Lowe in the American Hockey. Go to my YouTube channel, Fourthline Voice on YouTube. Yeah, he's on fire. Oh yeah, and he's like Bolton and and Parker and all these guys, like unbelievable tilts in the American Hockey League. And uh, there's a really good fight with him and Yablonski in Blues Camp. And it's like start watching it. And it's like I don't in terms of like punching. I don't think he was a huge power punching guy, um, but no. he would go he would go toe to toe. But he could he could go with both hands. And he could mix it up if he had to, but not afraid and not afraid to take a shot. He'd lean into one; it didn't matter. And uh, I don't remember him really getting dropped or anything. Maybe he did. I mean, I'm sure he maybe had, but off the top of my head, I don't remember anybody really like destroying Reed Lowe. I don't remember ever anybody doing that. He was in every fight. I'm not saying he won every fight. I'm just saying he was in every fight. And uh, no, I'm a huge Reed Lowe fan. Yeah, I'd like him here. You know, it's, I. I, perf- I agree with you perfectly. He didn't have like big like power, and he wasn't one of those guys that you know, intimidated or scared you. But but yeah, I really excellent exchanges in his fights. You know he you know he was um you know he was no joke for a while. I really liked him. You know so I, I and I liked McCray, but I just I just think that you know Low will probably be a little bit too much for him. Yep, I agree. Well, there that's the uh, uh, first bracket. Uh, the first, the first tilt. There's some good ones in there, man. Uh, it'll be, I'm, oh, yeah. uh, I'm really interested to see how the voting will go. That'll be, um, that'll be interesting. But uh, yeah, the next one here, uh, we'll start second, second tier, second bracket. Uh, Marty McSorley versus Jody Shelley to lead things off. Yeah, this is another one of those ones where, I was, like I was mentioning to you before, you kind of went from an era of fighters that were. Like I, I like refer to them as two-handed fighters, where they they would have like they were sort of more square to their opponent, and they would use two hands. 
in their fights. You know, and McSorley was very much like that. He was he would get both hands on you, do the tug and pull, you know, try to pull you off balance. You know, and he would you know work right, switch to the left. You know, he was, and, but he was very much squared up. You know, shoulder to shoulder. You know, with his opponent. You know, whereas Shelley, on the other hand, was very much one of those sort of pull, hold you off with the left and stretch you out as far as he could and then fire the overhand right hand bombs you know and i i always felt like i know that a lot of times people like all oh, the old school guys oh they would waste those new fighters but those new fighters were smart you know they watched a lot of video they went to drop your gloves they you know uh, did research on their opponents you know um they like we were talking before you had teams bringing in ex-fighters to, to sort of tutor some of these young kids you know, they're were, they were all coming in much more smarter, much more knowledgeable, you know, and a lot of them are saying, I'm a big guy, Shelly was a big guy, so he's using his long reach, you know, so I, I think a lot of fighters, you know, in like the post-2000s um, era, you know, they, they a lot of them started adopting that sort of like straight left hand, string you out, and you know, and hold back with the right and try to work those long-range overhand right hands, um, you know, so I, I, I Shelly doing that, if does he does it work against McSorley? Does McSorley begin to shed his jersey? You know, I I think that's some you know interesting tactical you know situations that could develop out of this fight. You know, so I, but I do like McSorley in this one. Uh, but, you know, but Shelley, you know, he's got a big big right, big power. So this is a very interesting fight. I think people just kind of mi- might overlook it. But as far as a style, you know, between the two fighters, you know, that big styles make fights, and this is a very interesting matchup. I like Marty though. Yeah, so do I. I think, yeah, like you said, I think Marty just comes on and that, that you know, Jody's trying to lean back, but, uh, you know, that gear comes off and Marty rips him in tight. And, uh, yeah, I think Jody'd be in trouble in this one. Yeah. I think Marty is going to land a lot of body blows, you know, because Marty was one of those guys who was relentless. He was not what you weren't going to stop him from trying to come at you, you know, so I think that he would. He was one of the few guys that would actually kind of like, oh, well, I can't hit your face, so okay, well, listen, I'm going to hit this big fat meat of your body right here. And he was one of the few guys that would actually mix in body shots. Yep. No, I agree. Yep. Uh, what's the next match? Oh, not here, I lost my thing. Oh, here it comes up. Okay. Uh, Sandy McCarthy versus Mike Peluso. Yeah, I vaguely recall these guys, these guys having a go. Um, yeah, I was gonna uh, say this had to have happened in real life. I would assume. Yeah, I know. I know. Right off the top of my head, that where Peluso was kind of like, you know, winging some lefts, and then the minute McCarthy got set, Peluso hit the deck, you know. And um, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember if, off the top of my head if I if I've seen them go. But but it, on the on paper, anyways, a, a prime McCarthy was you know one of the better fighters that I've I've seen, and one of the best young fighters I ever saw. Come you know. It, talk about the explosiveness of a guy like uh, Troy Crowder, you know, in his rookie season, or, or Derek Bougard in his rookie year, then you, you know, you, you've got to look at the amount of accomplishments of McCarthy in his rookie season, you know, um, just going on a tear and beating Probert, kind of dethroning the champ, you know, and when I think of McCarthy at his peak, I think of that those Calvary years, you know, so I, I really think that he, you know, it, I don't want to say this is an obvious one because Peloso, you know, he really did. I know he had a lot of bad balance, but he got into some great exchanges, and he was a willing guy. You know, he was willing to throw with anybody. And uh, but I just think the balance issues and his wildness, you know, coupled with how just simply great a fighter McCarthy is, I think 
that's the difference here and he wins. Yeah, no, I yeah, exactly. I think you know, I can just I can picture it in my mind as we're talking, I can just see yeah, Blue so you know, grab a duck at his head, just throwing them wild lefts, those kind of off balance haymaker lefts and just McCarthy and you know, and catching Sandy in the top of that friggin' uh in that you know, that big in that helmet and then I, I see Sandy just straight down the pipe catching Peluso a bunch of times and then and Peluso just, you know, hitting the deck and uh yeah, Sandy was um yeah. I know like a lot of people like you always see when they tart Sandra, Sandra, you know, and they're trying to remember the the Bruins and the Ranger days and that, and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, yeah, like you said, go back and watch those Calgary and that that little run in Tampa. Sandy was vicious, man. Vicious. He yeah, he was that whole time. He was legitimate a contender. I remember you know, back in the uh, you know, message boards days, there used to be this like debate. You know, was was Twist the champ or was McCarthy the champ? You know, it was around that time. You know, was, those guys were kind of becoming the new the new force in the league. Yep. You know, and um, but, but Beluso was never ever mentioned in that same kind of breath. You know, we loved the guy. He's a willing guy. He had some some you know some wild fights and everything like that. You know, but he wasn't. You know, nobody was ever talking about him being the champ or anything like that. So I, that's why I kind of like McCarthy. It's kind of an obvious pick. Yep. You know, in, in, in this bracket. But, yeah, I, I would say that uh, Sandman probably has this one. I would say so. Uh, the next one. This is inter- an old-school matchup here. Dave Semenko versus Bobby Nystrom. Oh, yeah, like kind of like the, the classic era, the 70s. And when you think of, you know, the, when you watch those old fight tapes and you think of those old fights, you think of guys like Semenko and, you know, uh, going out there sort of mugging guys and Bobby Nystrom, you know, Taking shots right off the stash, you know, going to yeah. people, you know. <laughs> but uh, but you know, in all in all seriousness, these guys come together. I I love Semenko's power and ferocity and his savage savagery. But you know, it, it gets Bobby Nystrom is kind of one of those guys, like sort of like comparable to Wilson, and very very underrated at tying up his opponents, you know, and uh, all, and and at the same time bringing all hell for offense against them, you know, and I think those guys never really get a lot of credit for that, but I think that's exactly what happened here. I think Nation just gets a weak grip on Semenko's right hand. He keeps those those right hands coming up short while he picks them apart with right hands himself and, and you know, scores a decision, not a beat down, but you know, probably looks a little similar to uh, Nystrom Wentink, you know, just hit making sure he keep those right hands coming up just a little bit short, you know, while getting his own offense in, so I like I like Thor in this you know all timer matchup. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I was thinking, you know, Semenko would probably, but I mean, even if Semenko tried to get the jump, I think Nystrom would be ready because I think Nystrom was ready on the, uh, you know, at any time too. But I think, like I said, I think as soon as the gloves get off, I could see Semenko kind of maybe landing a couple heavy ones quick. But you know, like you said, Nystrom just keeps coming at him and tying him up and then uh, just, you know, takes over from there. No, I agree. I think I'd, I'd take Nystrom in this. If I could vote, I'd be voting for Nystrom. <laughs> yep, I agree. But interesting, man. I'm picturing it in my head, a, a, a grainy video screen with the with the clock in the right-hand corner on the video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And some organ music. No announcers, just organ music. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. What do we got next? Uh, well, Andrew Peters versus Tim Hunter. 
Yeah, this is, and again, we run into that contrast of styles um, that I was, I was talking about where you have a sort of like a post-2000s fighter like Peters, you know, who's a fairly big guy, like in his own right, you know, big power puncher and, you know, would kind of like hold you off, you know, with that left and sort of like, like kind of just almost like hang back, you know, and, uh, you know, I think it'd be interesting to see how this style plays out against a guy like Hunter, you know, Hunter's, again, more of a two, you know, two-handed fighter, like to have both hands on you, cross you up with a cross grip style. And if he's able to get that in, you know, if he's able to kind of deal with uh, Peter's reach and that whole sort of stretch him out kind of style, then I think he has a good chance here against uh, Peter's. You know, I I think that this is kind of like a st- stylistically, you know, one of my favorite matchups here. Along the same thing with the Monty McSorley Shelley matchup. I just like this the technical matchup against. You know, these sort of like, you know, uh, you know, Jersey jab era, you know, long, you know, hold you off with the left, you know, kind of stretch out style against, you know, Tim Hunter's more, you know, squared up, you know, two handed style. I think this is a very interesting matchup, you know, but I, I honestly think that if Hunter can get the cross grip technique going and shut down Peter's big right hand, he, he's able to take this fight. You know, he might just pepper him with a bunch of left hands, but he'll score and win a close decision. I agree. Um, I will say the one thing about Andrew Peters, and this is, and I will, and Peters sort of came along kind of when I was getting out of hockey. I really wasn't paying much attention. Nah, maybe not, but I, he was still, but I, there's something about, I just didn't really pay much attention to him. To be honest, there's not a slight against him. I just didn't really. I was sort of, eh, you know, whatever. But um, I've I've noticed though, Peters he catches a lot of shit online from fight fans, and I, but I don't know why. Because but but everyone just like you bring up his name sometimes on Twitter, and I remember doing these terms before, and it's just like, not that they tr- say he's a joke, but it was I don't know. Does he have heat with people or? Like I, I don't understand. I don't like what? Like he has this. Like people just kind of shit on him, and I don't know why. I do remember, like at, in his last, I forget, his like last year or so, he was he had, had adopted this kind of like look away style. You know, he would hold you with the left, and he was almost looking away from the other fighter the entire time. You know, and he he, he didn't seem like the same Peters because Peters before would kind of slug away. It's good power. You yeah. know, he was, you know, kind of, he was a, like what I would consider, I, I throw this term around a lot, but I would consider him like a top 10 heavyweight for a few years. You know, um, he was definitely no no easy out by any stretch. Um, so I'm not sure, like, where, you know, maybe there was a, a rivalry situation or something like that, or I, I'm not sure, but I do, was he one of the few guys that was, you know, involved with steroids around that time? Uh, yeah, he, he, he admitted to do guys. He admitted to doing them, yeah. Yeah, so I'm wondering if that's where some of the heat comes, yeah. maybe, you know, I know, because I always used to say, like, I never saw a positive, uh, you know, um, a PED test, you know, for Tony Twist, but everybody used to sit there and just, they were, oh, they know he was, they just know he was on, you know what I mean, he was on the views, he was on series, he was on HVH, he was on this, he was on that, they just knew it, but they, I never ever saw anything, like, confirmed, but there were occasional guys that you hear, I, I believe, Peters was one, and I don't want to stop throwing people under the bus or anything like that because really, I'm, my memory is kind of fading sometimes, or whatever. And I'm going to say anything inaccurately, but I do recall Peters kind of, you know, having a little bit of that stigma. But I don't know if that was really—he did catch a lot of heat, but 
you know, I don't know if it was a style fight-wise type of thing or if it was because of the steroids. Yeah, it was just interesting because it was funny. And even I, I mentioned the one time on Facebook, and it was like, at that time, it was kind of like that was Brian McGratton. He was like the kind of the big name. And I said, well, Brian McGratton and Peters fought a ton of times. I said, go and watch those fights. I I think Peters beat McGratton more than McGratton beat Peters. I'm just saying, go back and watch. Uh, he did. McGratton had trouble against Peters. Yeah, he did. You know, it. It. it, and it I don't know if it was. I think it's Peters had. I don't know if it was deceptive or not. I'm not really sure. I didn't follow him coming up you know, from the eight, like minor leagues or anything. But he had hell of a power. You know, he was. I mean, I'm not you know saying he's the greatest power puncher of all time or anything like that. But he was. He was no. You know, he wasn't just a pillow puncher. You know, he, he when he threw, he meant business. You know, and that was one of the things that impressed me about him is that he was legit. You know, when it came to power punching, and it, which made him a tough out for for a lot of guys. But yeah, I'm not really sure about the heat. You know. That, that he would get, you know, and I, I really in this in this little hypothetical matchup, I really think that this is going to be a tough one for Hunter to pull off. But if he can latch on to that right hand, he he can pull this one out. Yep, I agree. Uh, that, Scott Parker versus Reed Simpson. I got to test your your knowledge. I, these guys have had to have met up at some point, and for the life of me, like a lot of times, I do I do I go through the old Stephen Rem like Rolodex in my brain. And I try to come up with this little, you know, the, the little index card with this fight on, and I, I don't, I don't remember these guys going at it. Um, you I know, don't either. In my head, so, so, I, but I do think that, you know, Parker just being the, kind of the physical force that he was, you know, and uh, I think just that from that standpoint, I think he gives Reed Simpson problems. Um, you know, Simpson was sort of like a. It's funny because he had actually pretty. You know, really good stamina, but I never viewed him as a technical guy. I always kind of looked at him as more of a brawler, you know, because he had some excellent fights with excellent exchanges. And I remember, the, you know, he had a great series of fights with Darren Langdon, you know, with a lot of technical, you know, stylings involved, a lot of hand position battles, you know. So he was, so Reed Simpson was very, very adept fighter. And, you know, I, he's not going to be a pushover. But I just think Parker's, you know, power is a little bit too much. I think he's, you know, kind of, you know, outlands. Uh, Simpson in this one, and you know, skates away with a decision. I don't, I don't foresee a beat down, or I don't see him getting wrecked, you know, by, <laughs> by uh, <laughs> or killed or destroyed or anything like that. But I see a, you know, a decision in favor of Parker. Parker lands a few good shots, maybe knocks a helmet off or something like that, and you know, nobody's the worse for wear. Uh, yeah, I agree, and yeah, just quite a quickly, uh, quickly going by his fight card. I can't see it. They never did fight. It doesn't look like. Um, which is odd. It surprises me, but um, but I guess Simpson's a little older too, though. So I guess yeah, he was sort of coming out as Parker was coming in a little bit. But um, but one thing with Reed, uh, yeah, man, you go back and kind of watch. I was really getting into his stuff when he was in Hershey. Like he had some great American League fights. Yeah, like he said with Langdon and um, like a couple with Roberge and stuff. Oh, and like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Simpson was a bad dude, and I think he he kind of often gets overlooked too, you know. And um, but yeah, he he's a tough guy. I'm a huge fan of Reed Simpson, and uh, and again, I'm a huge fan of Parker as well. And it's like, yeah, I'm a, I agree. I think you know Simpson's tying up and whatever. I just can see Parker kind of just landing kind of the heavier shots, and uh, yeah, but 
At the same time, if someone was like, well, I think Reed Simpson could beat Parker, I wouldn't yell and scream about him. Oh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't start calling him stupid or anything. Like, I agree. (laughs) It could could certainly happen. I mean, for sure. Yeah, and I, I, it's like hockey fighting has so many variables involved. Oh, yeah. Steps on a stick or something like that, and Simpson's able to take advantage of it. You know, things happen, you know, so, but I'm, I just, in my gut, I just got a feeling that Parker kind of gets the edge here. Yeah. Well, the next one, this one will be interesting to see how the internet reacts to this, but uh, Darcy Hordachuk versus Ryan Reeves. You know, like Hordachuk, I love Hordachuk. I, I always just, I kind of, I guess I should jokingly refer to him as the last toe-to-toe fighter, you know, the last kind of like Kimball-style fighter, you know, willing to take one land one at the same time, you know, over and over again, you know, I, I like, I, that's what I loved about Hornacek, he was like kind of like a warrior, you know, at a time when guys were starting to kind of do a lot more of that jersey jab and stretch you out kind of thing, you know, and, um, but, but one thing I liked about, I liked Hordy's style, but I just, like, a lot of people shit on Reeves, but I really think Reeves is, is, a, is a tough, tough guy. You know, I agree. I think that he's... You know, I'm not saying he could beat Brown at Probert or anything like that. I'm not saying he could go out there and wreck Simon you know, or anything like that. But I'm, but I really do think that he's, you know, he, I mean, I guess he's what the quote unquote champ right now. Um, but you know, and I know there's not much out there, you know, for him to take on, you know, in, ter- in terms of like elite competition. But in this fight against Hordachuk, I see the square off. I see Hordachuk trying to dive in. I see Reeves grabbing a hold of Hordachuk's, you know, anchor arm, his left arm, and tossing it aside. He's kind of going to work on him. But, you know, and Hordachuk gamely trying to hang in there initially, and then it's over. You know, and that, that's kind of how I look at it. I don't really see – I don't see Reeves getting into one of them face-punching duels with Hordachuk or anything like that. I think he's going to use his strength and, you know, his size and try to, you know, out-muscle and just out-pound, you know, uh, Hordachuk. You know, that's kind of I, – I know – Reeves gets a lot of flack for the competition being so thin, but I really do think he's a good fighter. He's not, you know, going to be Probert in any hypotheticals or anything like that, but I do think he was a, he's a good fighter, maybe underrated in that sense, but, um, you know, against Hordy, I really like his chances. I agree. Yeah, and Hordachuk, you know, I love Hordachuk. Watched him as a kid. I watched his tryout with the Blades. I was there at training camp, sitting with my friend, that, and I'm like, who is this guy? And they're like, he's from Yorkton. He's going to make the team. Wait till you see him. And he was just like a Super Bowl, running everybody. And he had about four or five fights that day at camp. And I was like, I, I instantly like, okay, well, this guy's my new favorite player. You know, and it was just like, <laughs> I watched him all that time with the Blades, and he was awesome. Every game was like, oh, and he fought everybody and, and you know, rarely lost. And he'd, yeah, just toe-to-toe and just, and his style. And, yeah, so it was it was really cool to see the career that he had. Nice guy, met, you know, t- met him a bunch of times and, you know, I remember giving him his footage and stuff. And he was all pumped, and yeah, he was uh, he was a good dude. And uh, yeah, I'm a, so I'm a massive Hordachuk fan. Um, yeah, and same thing. I like Reeves. I've always said that. Here's I said you guys listen to my show and I'm online and I always get the shit that I'm the old bitter guy. But I'm like, holy shit! Out of all you guys, I'm the one that's sticking up for Reeves half the time. Like you know, all these new guys, and it's like. I don't. I don't understand this. I this idea that somehow if you took Ryan Reeves and put him in the nineties, he'd get destroyed. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the guy's like six two, two thirty five, and jacked with training with like boxing and MMA training. 
I'm like, I don't know who you think's gonna wreck him. Like I, like I don't understand this whole, like is you know you go back in the '90s is like, I don't, I don't know, pick a name. All the guys we've been talking about, like is Peluso or Reed Simpson or whoever, Gino Ojek gonna destroy Ryan Reeves? No. Yeah, I don't, you're right. Yeah, that, I think that that's unfair that people they they try to. I mean, don't get me wrong; it is true, and it's and in the long run, people like when they they debate him all time. Like like Ryan Reeves, the all timer. Where does he fit in? Yeah, that's going to affect him because there's no yeah. one around for him to fight, you know. But yeah. but in terms of actual fighting ability, skill, I absolutely see him hanging with the with those badasses in the '90s. No doubt, he might not. I don't think he'd be a volume guy. That's the only thing. I think I, he strikes me as the kind of guy that would fight ten to twelve times a season. You know, have a few big name bouts on his on his resume, and that was it. I, I don't see him being like a thirty five, forty fight guy or anything like that. You know what I mean? But I do see him being able to hang with those guys, no doubt. Oh yeah, you know. So this like I, I never under you know. Well, that and then I always laugh at these guys that give Reeve shit. I'm like, well, shouldn't he be the one you're praising, and all the others that don't fight be the ones catching shit? You're right. Like it, it's not his fault the league's pussy. It's not his fault, so I don't know what you're getting mad at him for. Like, I would get mad at everybody else that's not fighting. You know, like, I, I don't, I've never understood the hatred for Reeves. I don't get it. Now, again, when you, Jerry, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just like, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. The jury, the jury was out for me with Reeves until I fought, seen him fight McGratton. And even though I gave McGratton, you know, the W in that fight, I was like, wow, you know, Reeves came to fucking fight. You know, like, that was a a solid exchange. You know, he was willing to step up there against a guy people calling the champ, you know. So that's when I was like, oh, well, well, maybe. Because, I I mean, at first I was just kind of like, well, I didn't hear much about him. Who was he taking on? Did he beat anybody yet? You know, and I I wasn't really sure if this guy was for real. And then I saw that fight against McGratton. I was like, wow, you know, he looked all right in this fight. You know, I was kind of impressed, you know. Sure, you didn't get you know didn't beat him or anything like that, but you stood in there and you know how you sort of develop these sort of like you have these little questions about fighters in your mind, and as they go along in their career, you're like, oh, okay, now he oh well, he certainly answered that question, you know, like you know, uh, could he step up and take on a guy like McGrath and boom, there he, there it is right there, you know, he, he certainly you know didn't look terrible. No, exactly, and, and again, when I say yeah. that, like I'm with you, I'm not saying oh he you know, oh he'd be top ten all time or yeah no I'm not saying that because there's because there is no real way to quantify it because yeah he is in a different era where he didn't have to do it as much against the competition that these other guys had to, but I said yeah and that's a perfect example with the McGratton thing I said so I say to this one guy that was kind of arguing with me I'm like well you guys all have McGratton as as kind of an all timer. Or at least in the top twenty or whatever, like he's in the discussion, you know. And it's and he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, well, Reeves hung with him. Like McGratton didn't kill Reeves, so it's like, and this is right when Reeves is really young too. So it's like, yeah, you know. And that's the and the one thing with Reeves is that people don't understand. I think a lot of times is he didn't he wasn't an enforcer in junior. Like when he played for the Brandon Wee Kings, he didn't really fight at all. Like he had like six or seven fights a year. He wasn't like an enforcer guy. He was like the third third line banger guy. And it's like so coming up, he basically had to change more into the enforcer when he got into the American Hockey League and stuff like that. Is when he really accepted the role. 
So it was sort of on-the-job training. Not that he never fought, but, I mean, even go back and look at his junior fight card, he wasn't fighting the hoarder chucks and stuff. Like, he wasn't fighting the other team's heavyweights. So he kind of grown into the role. So at the time when he's fighting McGratton, like, because, you know, he's still catch, you know, still learning, so to speak. So, and he did really well. So it's like... Oh, yeah. You know, like, he's with he's hanging with McGratton. So... You know, again, would I put McGratton higher all time than Reeves? Yeah, I would. But at the same time, Absolutely. I'm not yelling Reeves is going to get destroyed if he played in the 90s or 80s. Like, I was like, oh, if he was in the 80s, he would, he'd be out of the league in half a year. I'm like, really? You really think Brian Curran, <laughs> Brian Curran and Tory Robertson are running Ryan Reeves out of hockey? Come on. What are we doing here? <laughs> you know, yeah, no kidding. You know, like, yeah, I said if Neil Sheehy could last as long as he did, Ryan Reeves could last that long, believe me. Oh, you know. yeah, yeah. You had a, you had a lot of... Listen, I, I love the 80s, but you had a lot of freaking chafe in, in terms of fighters. There was a lot of, like, you know, chafe at the bottom of the bag as far as fighters go, you know, during the 80s. You know, you had weird guys that would come in that were big, but they weren't necessarily great. But, you know, you had Ed Castellic types, you know. I mean, yeah. can Ryan Reeves beat Ed Castellic? Can he beat Grant Jennings? He'd be Tory Robinson or Dana Merzen, you know, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah. so I, I, I mean, if you give Ryan Reeves Joey Koser's fight card and Joey Koser's first couple seasons, oh shit, yeah, he's he's doing real well. I mean, how many times did Koser take on Jerome Dupont? You know what I mean. So it's like if Ryan Reeves is taking on guys like that every night, then yeah, I think he's going to do just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, okay, I get you don't like Reeves, and that's fine, everybody, but let calm down a little bit here, you know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, uh, the next one here, this will be, this is interesting. Old George LaRock versus John Cordick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Rambo, too. He's a great action fighter. Totally, totally, like, you know, machine gunner, left-hander, you know, but I don't know. I just, LaRock is so big, so strong. And he's and he's not going to fight that machine gun fight with Cordic. You know, he's going to sort of like kind of wrestle with him. Like he's going to he's going to try and get a good grip at the beginning and try to maybe quickly you know throw some power rights before just wrestling the shit out of him. You know, so I mean, it'd be very interesting. But I, I like Larock here in this one in, in kind of an ugly fight. Um, I just as much as I like Rambo and I like his style, I just think it's Larock is one of those you know tough guys to go up against. It's like. You know, uh, you like to fight at full speed, but you take on a guy like a LaRock or Brashear, you know, it's like you're trying to run through a tar pit. You know, they just, they wrestle with you, they slow you down, they grind you down and wear you down, you know, before they just, just open up on you. So I really like LaRock here in, in this one against Rambo. Not a, you know, devastating beating, but, you know, a win. Yep. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, well, I was gonna say, you, you actually you're describing it a lot far better than I could. So yeah, no, I completely agree. But uh, uh, well, the final fight here of the uh, second round, uh, the Undertaker, Chris Simon versus Joe Koser. You know, when I was going through the matchups here, I was like, a, a lot of them seemed to me to be kind of almost straightforward. You know, there was almost like no like, holy shit. You know, like a, I got a this is going to be an underdog upset city, but I am going to take Simon in this fight here. I think he pulls off an all-time trifecta. He beats Dave Brown, Bob Holt, and Joe Koser. So I, I like him. He had a big left going. I think Koser has some trouble at first finding the range. 
then it degenerates into some wrestling, but Simon does enough damage, scores a win. Um, you know, then if imagine if that that fight had really happened in real life and he had beaten Koser. I know I know a lot of people rate Simon as a maybe a top twenty guy all time. But imagine if he had had that on his resume. I mean, I think people would start saying, geez, you gotta start thinking about him in the top ten or something like that. A lot at least that discussion would have gotten going. But I do like Simon in this one. It's kind of a I don't know if it's an upset, but Simon was just a legend killer, and I, I just like him in this one against Goza. Um, fuck yeah! I want to I want to get at you here with some with some counterpoints, but I'm agreeing with you on all these. <laughs> yeah, like I think Coaster might land a couple early, and I, all I think is it, it blows Simon's hair back, and he just keeps coming. Like the guy, you, I don't think Coaster could put Simon down, and I think Simon would just come back on him, and it's uh, yeah, and he's just bigger. And I think he would just out muscle coaster and yeah, I just uh, it, it, Simon. With the, always say with Simon, it's a real shame with the shoulder issues that he had that really kind of slowed him down in his prime years. And uh, and and uh, but yeah, that kind of avalanche early Washington Simon. Eesh. Yeah, I I just can't I just can't see coaster. And it's weird, as the years have gone on, like when I first kind of got into hockey fights, like Coaster was like an all-time guy for me. You know, another Saskatoon yeah. Blade guy, so that probably helped a little too. But it was like, you know, Saskatchewan guy, all right, you know. And without a doubt, some of the most famous knockouts ever, you know, obviously. Coaster, Coaster was a killer, I'm not saying he wasn't. But as the years have gone on, and you look at start looking at fight cards and being a little more objective... It's like, you know, I don't know. Like, he's still good. He's still good, but I don't overrated isn't the right word. I don't want to say overrated, but Joey Coaster and I'm. This might get me some heat. Whatever. There's a lot of fluff on Joey Coaster's fight card. And it's no disrespect to the guys, but it's like, yeah, you know. And I mean, I know he was riding shotgun with Probert, but it was like, and it kind of showed because Probert. Was taking the like in, and to put it into LNAH terms, Probert was taking the ones and Joey was taking the twos, and it's like, and the twos are some You're tough right. guys in there without a doubt, but it's just kind of, and then of course he added in the hand in the hand stuff, so by the time he got to like New York and stuff, he still had some big wins and stuff, but his hands are pretty mutilated, and I think that obviously that would hold back from really letting go, I'm sure, on a, in a few fights, but. uh yeah, I don't know. Oh, I just kind of like totally trashed Joey Coaster, and I didn't mean to, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound like the way I'm sounding. But no, no, but no, you're right. I remember I kind of got into this. Actually, I got, this, got into this on Twitter fairly recently about Coaster's card. Uh, I, I was kind of saying like it used to be sort of you know the heavyweight champ and the Kid Dynamite show because to me it was always kind of clear in those first few years in Detroit you know that Joe Koster was definitely kind of like the number two guy yeah he was, I don't want to say sidekick I, I would hate to say that term but you know he was sort of kit dynamite to Probert being the champ Probert always seemed to get the attention of the big guns where Koster always seemed to take on the Dana Mersons and Jerome DuPonts and Randy Boyds and Jeff Jacksons and you know her you know her Braglins and Rob Ramages you know and Probert's taking on the you know the kind of like the, the Glenn Cochran's and the Bob McGill's and, you know, the he's taking on the Semenko's and, you know, those guys, you know, so, I mean, 
I know that he got a huge, huge reputation for the dynamite right hand. He was a knockout guy, and it, the truth be told, he very rarely was outclassed or beaten badly. You know, sometimes because of that big right hand, I think there was a lot of wrestling involved. Boy, guys didn't want to open up with him. I also think his style sort of lent to a lot of wrestling because he, if you notice in a lot of his fights, he he would kind of grab from the back of your collar and hold you out, so he kind of had you almost in, in close in a lot of ways. Work that big jackhammer right hand, so a lot of times you're already in close with him, already wrestling with him, you know, just because that's the way he kind of liked it. What incredible torque on his punches, the way he would twist and get as much maximum power on his punches, I don't think I've seen anyone else do that. Um, yeah. So he's definitely no slouch. I mean, no. some of those knockouts were just unbelievable killers. But you're right. There was always something about, I mean, I don't know. I, I was just not blown away by the mountain of accomplishments. And I, I think the flack I took for Co- with Coaster was I was questioning the quality of competition of the guys he dropped, the TKO and KO guys. You know, outside of Jim Kite, you know, there was kind of like a drop-off, I thought, in some, you know, in terms of the competition. And I was comparing him to, you know, a guy like Rob Ray, who I thought had a much stiffer, you know, uh, TKO, KO card, if you will. You know, and I was not to say that he was a better than, than Jim Coaster or anything like that, but just comparing, you know, he's a huge power puncher extraordinaire, all-time great power puncher. But let's take a look at those people that he dropped and, and beat down and everything like that. Let's, let's, you know, be, you know, look at it objectively. And, you know, you see guys like that a guy like Rob Ray dropped or a Derek Bugard dropped, and you start to think, geez, these guys are in much, much better competition. So it's, But that's a good thing about Archie Freddy. You can look back and kind of question things and things like that. He's still a legend, you know, and, and probably arguably the greatest power puncher of all time. But I just love the legend killer. This I think it's a great story, too, so I love this matchup. No, absolutely. I completely agree. Okay, well, that uh, that wraps up the second round, so jump over on the other side of the bracket here, round uh, three. Uh, interesting one off the hop, Colt Nor versus Rob Ray. Yeah, this this is going to be, I mean, this is uh, one of those, I guess, like a dream fight matchup in, in terms of absolute fireworks and, and punching power and two guys who are willing to freaking take one to give one, you know, um, this is just an incredible matchup. I mean, two of the better power punchers of their of their respective era um, going at it right now. And you know, even though Ray was a smaller guy, you know he you know he's still able to stand in there with some great fighters. And you know, uh, this is a great matchup. I mean, you almost think that you know someone's going down in this one. You know, um, but but surprisingly enough, um, you know, all the with all the uh, slugfest Ray was in, I don't really recall him really being dropped like. KO'd, you know, I've, I've yeah, seen no. him smashed by twist, but I don't, you know, recall him being like, you know, truly like knocked out or, or TKO'd, you know, or anything like that, or very rarely at least, you know, um, you know, we know Orr's yeah, stood in there with some of the, all those guys of Orr's era, those big heavyweights, they all could put you out with one shot, you know, they, they, they were like, you know, specialists at that point in that role, and that's all they trained to do, and, you know, so all of those guys, whether it was Goddard or, McGratton or or Scott or Bugard, you know, all those guys, one shot, they could put you away, you know, Shelly, you name them, they, all those guys could do that, you know, um, so 
I mean, I, I love this matchup too, just because of how, how entertaining and wildly entertaining this fight could be. But I really, I think Orr squeaks, Colton Orr squeaks out a decision here against Ray in a wild one. Um, yeah, I mean, this, believe it or not, I know some people might not agree, but I really think this fight could go either way just because these guys could put you out with one shot. Um, so, but I do like Orr here in a wild one. Probably the, probably the best fight of the, the first round. Yeah, like I agree, and I I'm, I agree with you that it could go either way. I think Ray sometimes Ray he he has that with fight fans, um, you know. It's all oh he was only good because his jersey came off. Well, he was good for the other half of his career when the jersey had to stay on too. In fact, I'd say he was better. Of course, granted, he was getting older and in his prime when the jersey stayed on, so he was good with it on too. And, uh, like I said, had a lot of TKOs. I don't remember him. Yeah, other than Twist. Yeah, breaking it. But even Twist literally broke his face. Ray didn't go down. So it's like... Yeah, he tried to hang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's and he went to the box, and he's sitting there after. Like, he didn't just run to the dressing room. It's like, yeah. So, I mean, I could see Orr landing some shots and Ray just coming. And still coming and not yeah. going down. And, uh, and, Co- and Orr got put down a couple times. So it's like, you know, oh, yeah. with Cart- Cartner yeah. and stuff in England. And it's like... So I could, if somebody said, well, I think Ray could catch him and put him down, yeah, I wouldn't argue with you. I mean, Ray's done it to guys. I mean, you know, yeah. so, I mean, so that's not part of the realm. Ray too. No, no, and Ray was also interesting, too, because he wasn't, like, that was the difference, right? Like, Koster would wind up and scrape his hand off the ice to smash you and try to break your skull and knock you out. But Ray, he didn't have to wind up like that. You know, he seemed he he would just be in a total toe exchange and put put guys out. You know, with you know with the heavy cylinders, you know, yeah. he didn't really seem to have to have to like really rear back. He wasn't one of those kind of power punchers. You know, and that being said, though, I thought Orr had this incredible way of doubling up on punches during a big exchange. He had this way of recoiling very quickly. Um, and he was able to sort of double up, you know, he'd be trading one for one and then double up and boom, you know, he, and he had that, you know, power to knock you out, you know, so, you know, that was always something about what you had to watch out for, you know, but what a great matchup, man. Uh, the random number generator couldn't have done a better job picking these uh, guys. What a, what a war this would be. Yeah, it picked, it spit out a few. Uh, again, when it came out, I fucking laughed. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, this will be good. <laughs> this next one is a real interesting one too. Wendell Clark versus Craig Berube. Yeah, you know, I actually remember I got into a big debate. There used to be this guy who was a big Clark fan over at HockeyFights.com. And, uh, I, and I, at first, I used to be like, oh, my God, this guy's just out of his mind. But then I, I over the years there, you know, he was like a regular. And I kind of, you know, began to sort of, you know, respect his take on certain things, you know, fight-related. Um, but, but, boy, he was so convinced that when Barubi and Clark fought, they actually did have a fight. Um if, if I don't know if you remember, if you could probably find it on YouTube, but in the fight, it looks like they come together in the corner, and there's a freaking fan right in the way, and it looks like Clark throws a bomb, Barubi responds, and then they're both on the ice. You don't know what happened, you don't know who landed what. Uh, I believe uh, Clark hurt his knee in this fight. Um, he kind of limped off the ice a little bit like that, or, or uh, but there's you can't. There's no replay. You don't see what happens. You don't know who connected or who landed. So. He he always used to oh no that's a TKO win for Clark he was oh, such a Clark fan it was hilarious um, but um, but yeah if you ever get a chance to look up this fight it's really quick and it's it's really not much to really go on you can't tell 
you know what happened in this one so you know whenever we have these hypothetical matchups if these guys had a couple fights or if there was you know they had a single fight and the guy got his ass beat real bad you know in the hypothetical fight i'm going to give that same guy the win you know what i mean it's just kind of natural or if a guy kind of like donald bashir monty mcsorley if they meet up in the second round you know i'm not going to take mcsorley in a hypothetical because bashir owns him you know what i mean so yeah um you know so i sometimes i will refer to the footage you know but in this case with the clark fight you can't really tell much from from that fight you know that little bit of footage there you know unless somebody has some background info on it but but this this is a very interesting fight man i really you know clark was one of those guys who could stand in there with a guy like bob probert and um you know ben wilson you know and go toe-to-toe you know um but the one thing that is a little bit different with with baruby when you compare him with like probert or wilson is robert and wilson were kind of slow starters Whereas Barubi is a machine gun right-handed heavyweight, um, and I would I would venture to say that he had probably faster hand speed than Clark, you know, who had lightning quick hands. But Barubi was just something else with that whirlwind right hand, and I, I'm actually really I actually like him to take an edge in this fight against Clark. I know the, the Clark fans are going to hate me on this one, and the Toronto fans are going to you know going to be ripping me for it. But I you know in a straight up tussle, I just. The hand speed is always one of those things with Clark that, you know, he just switched so seamlessly. He could be all over you. But with Baruby, if you're taking on a fighter who has almost probably even better hand speed than him, you know, and um, he's used to taking on legitimate heavyweights, you know, on a day-to-day basis. You know, so I kind of like Baruby to edge out Clark in this one. Well, the Leaf fans will be hating me, too, because I completely agree with you. And, um, and like I said, Wendell, hey, Wendell's my boy. Saskatoon guy, you know, and everything. But... Yeah, like I said, I don't like it. I'm just again with all these fights, I picture them in my head, and I can see Clark trying to get the quick start gloves off real quick, but it's not going to happen with Baruby. Like Baruby can just get his shit off that fast and be and be into it just as fast and faster. I agree with you, and I can I can just see him. Wendell would would start the uh, the the flurry, and Baruby would just quickly match it, and I think would just I think would just over overpower. Clark, I think with it, and uh, yeah, no, I I have Baruby too. Yeah, and that, that his and it's I always it's fine when I, we talk about enforcers and everything like that. I always to me I love seeing Baruby whip those gloves off to square off. He had that kind of cool badass kind of square off, like you know, like let's do. He had the missing teeth, that snarl on his face. He just like was like the quintessential like enforcer for me back in those days. You know, and the thing with him is he, he wasn't one of those big six foot three, six foot four guys. You know, he was a little bit smaller than that, but he, he, that right hand was unbelievable fast. That's what got him the win against Probert. You know, so I really, I kind of like that hand speed against Clark. I'm not sure if Clark fought too many guys with Baruby's, uh, kind of hand speed. No, I agree. Yeah. No, yeah. Baruby with the square off and the no, the no fangs, the fangs and everything. Yeah. No, Baruby was awesome. I love Baruby. <laughs> Back at it here. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Ruby and Clark, that hell of a matchup. Well, the next matchup we got is Brian McGratton and Wade Belak, of course, which happened. I'm, I'm sure it probably actually happened a few times now that I think about it. Yeah, I can think of at least two off the top of my head from early in the career. These guys matched up a few times. Um, you know, Belak is one of those guys, too. I think he's like, kind of like low-key, like one of those... Um, not a con- not a contender. I I never really thought of him as like a title threat, but one of those guys that was just never easy to beat. He was just incredibly difficult to you know 
to take out and, uh, another guy who I, I don't even recall him ever getting dropped or TKO'd. He was such a sturdy fighter and always in the fight with him. And, um, you know, so I, I always love um, Belak. And, you know, I, I also like that little rivalry he had with Colton Orr, you know, getting his nose broken, kind of being gun-shy a little bit, and then coming back against Orr, you know, kind of giving him some confidence and, you know, um, you know, so it was a great little story there with Belak and, uh, but with, with McGratton, I always, uh, you know, I don't recall them, the fights I remember them having, I don't remember them being like real barn burners, you know, uh, but I do, I do remember McGratton kind of getting the edge in their little series and, um, that's kind of how I would view it. You know, again, like I mentioned, if this video and, you know, these guys have, you know, had enough fights with each other and there's, you know, a, a pattern there of one guy, you know, kind of, getting the better of the other if you know when that com matchup comes up in a hypothetical we get that with um you know john's hockey fight league you know you get matchups with guys that you know uh i'll, I'll see it and i'll be like oh geez this guy he, he lost to him five straight times you know he never beat him there's no possible way i could sit there and make a case for him winning the fight you know so yeah so in those cases you know i'll definitely lean towards what happened in reality you know in this case i'll, I'll give the rat the edge against Belak. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, right? It can go either way, and uh, no matter who anybody picks, I wouldn't really argue with either way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always looked at it. Um, I mean, unfortunately, in this scenario, obviously, you have to we have to pick a winner. Um, whereas I would yeah. think most of their fight, if they fought like 10 times, I, I don't see either guy getting a huge advantage over the other. Like, I think it would probably exactly. be just give one, take one, maybe land a couple more, but that would be about it. And, I mean, I guess if we're going to do, you know, if it's bo like Olympic boxing, we're doing CompuStat num fight numbers, I mean, that's about, I think that would be the only way you could actually do it, right? It would be like, okay, well, You're who right. landed the most? And it would probably be about a difference of two or three. So it's like either way. But so, but unfortunately in these, you can't pick draw, so you got to pick a win. And I don't know, either or. I'm gonna sit. How's that Teflon? I'm gonna just slide right out of this. I'm gonna sit right on the fence. I'm gonna let you take all the heat on this. I'm gonna sit right on the fence and say either or. There you go. But yeah, two tough dudes for sure. Um, the next, yeah, this next one's kind of interesting. Jim McKenzie versus the Hammer, Dave Schultz. If if Jim McKenzie had had played in in Schultz's time. McKenzie would have been like the heavyweight champ. I just he was just a, such a great fighter, man. All had all the tools, um, you know. And in his prime, against a prime Schultz. I mean, McKenzie was you know he had heavyweight size, but the way he could punch his hand speed and the way he switched hands, he was almost like like a light heavyweight or a middleweight. Um, you know the way he could switch up on you and take the fight to you. And I, I he, he switched so seamlessly I, I, when he first broke in. I believe kind of go after guys and um, overwhelm them with the, just the rapid fire punches and the seamless switching. You know, I really, I just don't see any scenario where Schultz is able to, you know, you know, outdo McKenzie. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that McKenzie was, you know, McKenzie wasn't really, you know, a, a killer or anything like that. He wasn't like a knockout guy, you know, but just, you know, he could overwhelm you in a, in a heartbeat and I really think he just takes it to Schultz in this one. Yeah. No, I agree. And Jim McKenzie, another guy that we, I mean, we talked about laws earlier being underrated. To me, Jim McKenzie, really underrated. Um, 
Yeah, and it's like, I, and he was just, he's just one of those guys. Yeah, quick hands, toe to toe, and, you know, refs would break it up, and he'd, off he'd go, gen, you know, gentleman Jim. And there'd be sometimes I'd get really frustrated. I'm like, oh, if this dude was meaner, he could, he could yeah. just, he'd kill guys if he wanted to. But it was like, yeah. I got my few in, I, I fought you like I was supposed to, let's go to the box. You know, and. Yeah, he was almost like, like, even back then, he was almost like the beginning of, he was like the, precursor of the code fighters yes you know like he was almost like gentlemanly like business like you know not a trash talker shit talker would get like a square fight you know everything was legit you know what i mean no getting a jump or you know strange jersey tactics or anything like that you know what i mean like he was always pretty much straight up you know but i always thought about him whenever we used to think about like the code you know, and fighters fighting by these unwritten rules. I always think about Jim McKenzie because he was all, you know, during that era with everybody, you know, you had some kind of brutal style fighters at that time, like, you know, that we had no problem going over the line. But McKenzie was pretty much a, you know, a straight ahead guy, you know, which, which I loved about him. But at the same time, you're right. He'd have a guy in the ropes and I'd be like, finish him. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he, he, he would kind of like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, but yeah, he was, it, it was, it, it's interesting because I remember, when he was, when he was at his peak, when he, when he was doing his thing, and I'm not really sure exactly, like, like he, he was kind of great, like from the get go, you know. So I'm not sure if he had crazy peaks and valleys, but because of some of his maybe uh, inactivity a little bit, you know, he would sort of fade in and out of his home skin, even though he style wise and skill wise, you know, he could beat a lot of guys, you know. And he, but I just think there was times where he seemed disinterested, you know. And, you know, he would sort of go through emotions at the end of fights, you know, like you, like you were mentioning, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, but I never viewed him as, like, a contender. Like, he was a tough fighter, but, like, I never thought of him as a guy that was going to be like, oh, he's, you know, he's going to be the champ. You know, I never really seemed to beat, like, one of those big-name contenders at the time. You know, so I never really viewed him as, like, a champ title threat type of guy. You know, he was more like a top-ten guy, you know what I mean? I don't know, not, to, not putting him down, but... You know, but now, now that we look back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I, I remember we were doing like, you know, at the end of the hockeyfight.com era there, like, you know, when we still had the forums, you know, we were doing like, before it closed down, we were still adding to our all-time list. And Jim McKenzie would get a lot, a lot of this, like, top 10 all-time guy, which I didn't necessarily agree with, you know, myself. But I was a little surprised. I was kind of like, wow, people hold him in that, that, that high esteem, you know, as a fighter that he was actually getting all-time, top 10 all-time consideration, you know, which I kind of disagree with just because he was never really, like, if you're a top 10 guy, I would imagine you got to be, like, an elite guy, you know, for a long stretch during your career, you know, and, or a champ, you know, type of guy. And McKenzie never was that kind of guy, in my opinion, but still a great fighter, had still set to, you know, be a matchup nightmare for all kinds of fighters. So I like him against Schultz. Yep, I agree. Uh, well, the next one it'd be interesting. Ryan Vandenbush versus Ben Wilson. Oh, man, yeah. Let's spread a little uh, Ben Wilson awareness. Um, you know, I, I love Vandenbush. You know, he, like a like a, had like a hockey fight Wolverine. You know, just... Um, so tough and willing to take on much bigger guys and exchange, you know, an all-out warfare. He's kind of like a, you know, if you're a hockey fight fan, he was like a gift from the hockey fight gods, you know, just a guy had no problem, fearless, you know, had some of the best exchanges, you know, during his career. 
you know, um, you know, the only drawback with him was his size. You know, he seemed like he was always sort of a smaller guy in most of his fights. And, you know, against Ben Wilson, he's going to be in, in tough, you know. But one thing I will say, you know, I, I mean, I, I think obviously I think Wilson's going to pull this one off. But I'll tell you right now, if Vandenbush switching to his left hand is going to cause Wilson some problems, at least initially. You know, I really think that Wilson was great at tying up an opponent's dominant right hand with his left, and then he could work those great right-hand uppercuts. You know, but if a fighter switched to his left, it kind of changed the game and sort of start winging a little bit, you know, those right hands and kind of ducking his head and just hoping, you know, that he can land a power shot. You know, so I, I used to would see... On occasion, guys like Jonathan, um, you know, where those switch hands on him, you know, to the left, you know, and, you know, kind of surprise him a little bit. You know, same thing with John Wentzick. He switched to his left, you know, kind of gave, you know, Wilson some, you know, some problems. So, not that I think Vanden Bush could pull this one off, uh, but I do think it could cause some problems and make for an interest, interesting fight, but I do got Wilson pulling this one out. Yeah, well, yeah, and I echo everything you say. I mean, yeah, Vanden Bush... I mean, it, it, if you're a fight fan, you like Ryan Vandenbush. That's just—it's that simple. I mean, and if you yeah. don't, what's wrong with you? Like seriously, you know, <laughs> like you know, if you're a fight fan, come on, you know, there's just some guys that, yeah, even if you know, I mean, there's lots of you can go down. Like I always say, like that kind of that Vandenbush stock, Jim Cummins, those kind of got Chris Murray. Those kind of guys, it's like, well, if you're a fight fan, how do you shit on the? You can't shit on these guys. I mean, no. it's just a full out all the. T- it doesn't matter who they're going to eat three to throw one, and it's just like yep. you know whatever. And with like Wilson and Vandenbush, I could totally see like the Friedrich Vandenbush thing playing out a little bit, and it's like, you know, just that one guy's really big and throwing bong, but like Van Vandenbush, you know what? End up spending a night in the hospital or whatever, but didn't go down and would just keep coming. Yeah, I could just see Wilson landing shots on him and just him standing there taking it and blood everywhere and, you know, but, uh, yeah, but Wilson was just, yeah, I mean, he'd overpower him at the end, but, yeah, but, yeah, both those guys, that'd be a great, that'd be, it'd be a spectacle, we'll put it that way. Absolutely, yeah. Well, this next fight, of course, it did happen, and uh, Shane Churla and Darren Kimball. Um, yeah, these guys had a playoff, though, um, which was uh, kind of like one of those fights you used to always see in the greatest hockey fight tapes. You, know, you used to always see this about, um, you know, um, and I think it's funny, too, because their, their styles were somewhat similar, right? You know, like fast hands, toe-to-toe. Yep. You know, uh, these guys really like to get at it. And, um, you know, that, that fight in the playoffs, you know, I really thought was, um, you know, a good one, too. I remember it was funny because uh, at the outset of that, that fight, um you know, I think it was uh, Churlis. He starts pumping the shots at at, at Kimball, and it, it it looks fantastic. But you know, I don't think he landed a one. Kimball just kind of ducked his head a little bit. You know, but um, what an excellent fight! A great battle between those two guys. Um, and it's funny when you get one of these situations and these hypothetical matchups, and you're dealing with you know a matchup where the two guys actually fought. And not only that, but had a, a total classic. You know, uh, of, a, of a fight, you know, and, um, you know, but since we do have to pick a winner here, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to say that in, the, in this battle here, you know, excellent hand speed with both fires, you know, toe to toe type of style. I think that Kimball does outpunch Churla just enough to, 
to squeeze out a decision in this one. Um, as I say this, I'm watching their you know their toe to toe fight here. Um, you know what a what a good battle. You know, and seeing Kimball with the confidence to just fire away with left hands like that, like no no big deal. You know what I mean? Uh, so definitely, uh, you know, a great battle with, with yep. both of these guys. And as I watch it now, I'm just like, wow, I miss this stuff so much. But but um, yeah, I'm gonna go with Kimball in this one. Uh, excellent matchup. I love both fighters, you know. And I but you got to give the win. I got to give the W out. I'm gonna give it to Kimball. Yeah, well, and like you said, I mean, for the reasoning, if it happened, and this is, I mean, that's my only go-to is that it happened once, and Kimball, you know, whatever, I would say probably Kimball won their fight in real life, so it's like, well, again, you can't pick a draw, so. Yeah. Either or, I mean, if anybody said either, I wouldn't argue, um, but if I had to pick one, if I could vote, like I said, if I could vote, I would vote for Kimball. Yeah, but I mean, both, I love both these guys, their styles, they're, again, their fight DVDs are just two hours of highlight real fights and yeah i mean they're they're awesome both these guys are awesome definitely yeah well <laughs> this next one here we go clark gillies versus donald donald brashear gillies and brashear so i actually uh took the liberty of doing taking some little bits of notes here you know because we get these weird um sort of like fights from guys in different era you know, um, so sometimes you got to kind of like, all right, let me jot down some of my thoughts here. Uh, so, but on this one here is, you know, this is an, an, an interesting one, and it's, it's certainly going to, you know, piss off some people either way, you know, depending on which way you go. But, you know, Gillies obviously was sort of like the champ, you know, kind of like the big, scary, you know, tough guy, you know, heavyweight, quote, you know, quote unquote heavyweight, you know, from, uh, you know, the mid late 70s on through the early 80s. Um, you know, he, some people like to say that he became champ when he beat, uh, Dave Schultz in the playoffs, um, in his rookie season. Um, you know, and, you know, a lot of people say he was dethroned by Ben Wilson in 80, you know, during the 80, 81 season. Um, you know, but, but the whole time Gillies was, you know, a legitimate, you know, heavyweight. He just was one of those guys that didn't fight very often. You know, he had a, a long fuse. And he's going to be going up against a guy like Rashir, who's just sort of battle-hardened fighter, you know, in his prime, a, a total powerhouse. Um, you know, and, you know, it's, I was never a big Rashir fan. I didn't really like his style, but you, you had to give the guy, you know, all the credit in the world. You know, he has a, you know, a tremendous, tremendous resume. Um, and to me, he's a top five all-time guy, you know. So I, in this fight here against Gillis, I just think Rashir is... He's just going to be too much. You know, he's going to be doing a lot of the hugging. He's going to, you know, do the anaconda thing and, and just strangle the life out of Gillies. And, you know, he's going to wear down Gillies with all the wrestling. And then he's going to come on with lefts and rights. And he's going to, you know, come up with a win. And, you know, I know I know Lozito's not going to like hearing that. But yeah. I just think for sure, I didn't like the style. I'm not a, I was not really a big fan. But, I mean, he's very in his prime. Rashid very rarely beaten badly you know his you know major losses are few and far between you know and i know a lot of that is you know the, the wrestling style but i mean in, at the end of the day it's it's almost too hard you got to give him all the credit in the world for what he did and the guy was kind of he went from hugger to slugger you know as in, as a fighter and, and just a total powerhouse i think him and LaRock were kind of 1a 1b for a little while there you know um so in the early 2000s and 
you know, I think he takes Gillies in this one. It's I, I hate to say it because I do like Gillies, and I know Rosillo's going to take that mug and throw it against the wall. But, but yeah, so I'm going to – I think that uh, Brashear has this one. Well, I can tell you, Lazito took the mug out, put it back in the box. Now he's taking it back out again. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to be off the Christmas card list, too, because I think – see, the thing with this one, too, is they're the same size. So Gillies, I mean, in a lot of his fights back in the day would be the bigger guy. He isn't in this one. Um, and I think Brashear would just pull him in. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you say, I always say with Brashear, right, I mean – I know people love to shit on him and whatever, but and and I mean I'm not a brushier guy. I don't. I'm not a fan. But I always say you got to give the devil the due, and you can say whatever you want when you go back. And it's like all these people shit on brushier. It's like okay, well show me all these losses then. You can't. Yeah. There isn't. They're not there. Yeah. Not really. Not yeah. in his prime. And it's like you know. And it's like. Uh, at and, that point, and look, look at the guy who he's look at who he's beating too. At the same time, as oh, he's and yo, and it's there's a litany of unbelievable fighters. You know? Yeah, well, Brashear's fight card is second to none. So I mean, you can't even can't shit on him for that either. So it's just like I don't know. I mean, you like you said, I get the style thing and people not you know, and I was the same way. But yeah, I, I think in this instance, I think yeah, he just pulls in Gillies and yeah, like he always did, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, yeah, it's going to cause a lot of shit online. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. I'm going to cause a lot of shit online with this list here. But uh, the, next, well, the next one, this will be David and Goliath. So you got John, Stan Jonathan versus Peter Worrell. Oh, man, all my Boston guys. i got to go against all my Boston guys, man. I, I love Jonathan, but, I mean, at a certain point, the height factor becomes almost too impossible to overcome, you know, and... And Worrell, as we know, while not being the most exciting fighter, you know, was great at, you know, I, I don't really recall him ever getting a beatdown or, or losing badly, you know, but he was also kind of a very cautious big guy, you know, and he used his reach really well, and I see him getting into kind of an ugly fight against Jonathan, I mean, kind of a wrestling match, Jonathan trying to, you know, get inside and, you know, you know do this, you know, hand switching, and but I just, I just think Worrell was just too tall a task. Peter Worrell ain't Pierre Bouchard, you know, so I mean, I yeah. Just, yeah, I, just, I kind of, as much as I love to just say Jonathan goes toe-to-toe and smashes Worrell, Worrell's not going to fight that kind of fight. He's going to do all wrestling, grappling, and hold you at arm's reach, and you know, it's going to make for an ugly fight, but a Worrell, a Worrell win, nonetheless. Yeah, like, I, I'm just picturing it, I mean, unless Jonathan can, like, get it up against the boards, maybe, um, you know, and kind of, like, shuffle along that way but other than that like yeah like you said it ain't Bouchard and uh Worrell yeah Worrell isn't gonna fight that fight and I'm trying to picture the Domi Worrell fight it's kind of what I'm trying to picture and it was the same thing I think it was sort of just sloppy and pulled down and you know whatever so I yeah I mean it's easy when it's a lot easier punching downhill right so yeah, it's it's interesting with Worrell. Not that you, I've never really thought about it that way, but yeah, Worrell never really was an open guy, was he? For as big as he was, no, no, and he, and, and, and I, it's not not that he he was you know bad or anything like that. I think I remember I was talking to someone recently. They were making a case for Worrell being a champ one year because uh, he he was you know really good. It's just that he when you think about his career, you you kind of find yourself like not really recalling many great fights. 
You know, exactly. he, he doesn't have a lot of standout moments, and I think it's because of you know he, he had obvious size in, in, in reach, and you know, but he just he sort of like you know did a lot of playing it safe, you know, or or did a lot of grappling, and a lot of guys find themselves trying to fight to get inside with him. You know, so a lot of times it would make for kind of crappy fights. You know, he was he was a tough guy, no doubt about it. He might have been top two or three for a few years, you know, with, with Florida. But, but, but yeah, I mean, just I mean, uh, I'm trying to recall the Domi fights. I can't even I can't even think of what they you know, what they looked like. Um, I know they had a couple. That's the only thing I know. Yeah, and it's just, but yeah, like you said, I I think of Warrell, and it's just like. Yeah, it's just nothing stands out to me for some reason. And I, I mean, I, I know he was good. Like, I don't remember him getting, like, oh, he got smoked. But it's just like, yeah, I don't know. He wasn't getting smoked, and he he wasn't the smoky or the smoker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like when you when you like remember, like you know, we were talking about like sometimes you can kind of get a good barometer on on the season to just by watching like like a best of DVD or tape. You know, for that particular year, you can kind of get a good idea of how things went. Like, oh wow, this guy had a fantastic year. Like, you know, he's he's got six fights in the freaking greatest hockey fights. Uh, you know, for that season, you know, yeah. Well, Worrell, I, I imagine Worrell is one of those guys that didn't really make it to too many of those greatest hockey fights. Uh, you know what I mean? Because just because of the style, you know. But, but yeah, so I think in a lot of ways, he kind of becomes somewhat forgettable in that regard. You know, you kind of you kind of forget him sometimes, but. You know, big guy, and because of his size and reach, he was definitely capable, and you know, probably, um, you know, probably squeaks one out against Jonathan. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's the end of the third round. So here we are in the final bracket. I, out of all the brackets, this fourth one is the most. It might be the most interesting one. Um, well, we'll start off with uh, Darren McCarty and Cam Jansen. Um, yeah, this is. Like I said, kind of like an interesting matchup here too. Um, you know, you have kind of like the soft par against the guy that likes to kind of, you know, I guess you could say Jansen's like a technical guy. I kind of just call him a marathon guy. You know, you really like to kind of like, you know, shoo away the linesman and just keep a fight going on and on and on and on and on. And, you know, and I, I kind of think he does a little bit of that here against McCarty. Um, you know, you know, uh, the fight starts off slow. McCarty's trying to work laps, you know, and then the fight drags on all over the ice, and Jansen's just kind of waving the linesman off, and you know, starts to put some offense together, scores some points, and uh, comes out, you know, with a narrow, narrow decision. It's an interesting description. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that uh, again. One of those fights. Somebody said they liked McCarty. All right. Um, I just think sort of Jansen's. Yeah, with the. Stamina, and I think he just, you know, I just think sort of, uh, yeah, just outlasts him. I agree. Uh, yeah, definitely an interesting matchup. Uh, yeah, I was a big fan of both these guys. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, and maybe not, but I, I think Jansen's maybe had more of the, the, I, I whatever word you want to call it, I goon, to get more goon tendencies than McCarty did, maybe, but, uh, yeah, I, I got to go with Cam Cam in this one, but uh, what's uh Oh, I keep minimizing my screen here. Hold on, there you go. What's oh, this next one's interesting. PJ Stock and Kelly Chase. Yeah, this is a, a good one too. And um, you know, it's again, I, I I always thought Chase was a little underrated. You know, kind of like 
did his thing sort of like in the shadows of other big name fighters, but it was, you know, really great. You know, I, I lump him in with the technical fighters, you know, whenever we start breaking him down, um, you know, and even though I don't know if people, I always considered Chase to be something of a light heavyweight, you know, he was perfect to run sort of, you know, side by side with a big gun heavyweight, you know, so in a lot of ways, you know, I know somebody, somebody might not like that description of Chase, but I always viewed him as sort of like a, a light heavy but uh, but I yeah. really like him underrated in in, in a sense. Um, now PJ Stock, I actually got to see him um, in Boston for a little bit. And, you know, I thought I, I don't know how Boston does it. We always seem to get these little guys that are just phenomenal fighters. You know, every few years we get one that's just you know you get these guys. Um, and I thought Stock was fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, in Boston, not a not that I you know it wasn't a, like a title threat. He wasn't like a a little guy in the vein of a Ty Domi, but. Geez, he had some unbelievable fights um, in Boston, um, and you know I, I thought he's you know rapid fire punches could switch hands well, and, and a small guy that just seemed unbothered by bigger fighters' reach. He just seemed like it just didn't phase him, and I always thought that that was sort of like the trait of those great small fighters. It, it's like you know like they seem undaunted, and they're, they're, it's almost like their small size is an advantage to them. Um, so. In this fight here with Stock and Chase, I really think that Stock's, you know, um, hand speed and ability to switch does cause Chase some issues. I like Stock just by an, a slight edge, just, uh, you know, maybe lands an extra punch in a flurry and is able to squeak out a, a drop your gloves decision against Chase in a type of fight that many people might argue as a draw. Um, but if I got to call, you know, and give an edge, I'm going to give a sliver of an edge to PJ Stock. Yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm agreeing with you on all this stuff. It's like we, uh, yeah, like I could see again. I, to me, it'd probably be a draw, but you got to pick a winner. And I could just see Stock just being busier. And I mean, yes, yeah, yeah. And it's just you know, with Chase is trying to grapple with him a little bit, and and would and kind of would counter punch with him. But I mean, Stock would just you know, just overwhelm, right? Just kind of get that windmilling kind of thing going, and. Yeah, just on like punch numbers, I think Stock would get the win. But I think, yeah, I mean they both be standing at the end of it. But uh, and I think it would be a fun fight. But uh, yeah, just on a, I, I think just on aggression, I think I would give it to Stock. But uh, uh, why do I keep doing this? There, um, huh. yeah. Here's another old school match: Terry O'Reilly and John Ferguson. Yeah, it's just. It's just really not my night for, for my Boston guys, man. I, I don't know what it is. I saw this matchup, and, you know, I, I always say, like, I used to be one of those guys that I, I love O'Reilly, and even though he would take the, the occasional loss, you know, he he still, you know, finished his career with some fantastic victories, you know, um, you know, beat Schultz, you know, you can say, you know, victories over uh, Dan Maloney, Clark Gillies, you know, so he has some great victories, you know, it's just that Unfortunately, I think what he's doing, what he's up against against with John Ferguson, is he's up against a guy that was much more of a noble, smart type of guy. Um, Ferguson, in my opinion, would be very much similar to a guy like a Semenko or a Dave Brown. He's the kind of guy that um, he had no problem coming at you from the side, attacking you from behind, punching you while you're being held by a ref. You know, that's the kind of mentality I think Ferguson had when he was on his game. And, I think we, uh, O'Reilly, we get something like that. I think we get sort of almost like a semi-jump job and 
he just starts pounding O'Reilly and then it's broken up before O'Reilly gets really going. Um, so I, I kind of think that that's always pretty out. You know, I know this is just a, a hypothetical because there's really not a ton of Ferguson footage. You know, to me, he seemed like just sort of a like a mauling right-handed fighter. You know, um, in, in the very limited views, the clips that I've seen of him, you know, he he seemed like he had you know aggression galore, and um, you know had no problem crossing that line if he had to. So I kind of think he catches O'Reilly by surprise and gets a W. Yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah, like you said, with the lack of footage, I mean, everything you've read on Ferguson, yeah, it's exactly as you described, right? You read those articles and stuff, and it was like Ferguson was there to send a message that the that the skilled Montreal Canadians were not going to get abused, and it was like he'd make examples out of guys. And you know, and back then it wasn't, oh, we're going to give him five game suspension, and they give you shit back then. So, yeah, he could just go up and like blast Nostarenko, right? And it's just like, yeah, fuck you. You know, and just, like, tune the guy. Just jump him. And it's like, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, he could, he'll get an extra two minutes. You know, you know. And it's like, yeah, and it was like the statement thing. Whereas, like, O'Reilly, I mean, O'Reilly would, I don't say he would jump guys, but I mean, he was ready to go off the hop for sure. But yeah, with O'Reilly, yeah, like you said, he just got that wild swinging fight from everywhere, eat a few, keep swinging, and go down, get up, go down, get up. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, like, I just think Ferguson just sort of just, yeah, just rains down on him, and yeah, I mean, for the little bit that I've seen of Ferguson, same as you, I mean, you read about it, yeah. Again, I mean, whatever, I'm sure the Twitter voting, it'll be all O'Reilly, I'm sure, but I mean, you know, and whatever, but it's, uh, it'd be interesting, and I mean, and it's one of those things, I mean, if you go you always like to, it's too bad you can go back in a time machine and see these the Ferguson fights and see for yourself and how he really was outside of the you know the the few that are out there but uh yeah interesting old school matchup but yeah I man Terry O'Reilly I was watching some old stuff the other night he was so fun to watch and and a great oh, yeah. player 30 goal guy and I mean yeah I mean he's he's another one of those guys it's like hard not to like Terry O'Reilly no, yeah, and that's why I think when you, you like read back when you know people have interviews or they discuss O'Reilly, they always even like you guys on the Flyers or the Canadians, like you know they're hated rivals. They all have this sort of a like, you know, grudging respect for him, you know, like just for the way he played and carried himself. Yeah, almost universal, you know, like almost everyone you talk to. Oh yeah, oh, heart and soul of the Bruins, you know, what a great guy, much respect for him, and you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, but but as a fighter just so furious with the lefts that, like you said, he'd be up and down, you know, during a, the course of a fight two or three times, yeah. you know, and that's, in a fight, and that's in a fight he's winning, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so it's like one of those things with him and, you know, I just, in, and again, we're going off very limited, uh, you know, on the footage on Ferguson. That's why it, it, you got to try and, it's with a guy like Ferguson, you kind of try to like look for him find those little nuggets of great information, you know, on him. I, he mentioned some of the fights in his book. If you ever get a chance, you know, pick up his book, he talks about some of the fights he was in when he first came in, talked about the big bad Bruins and how they used to use intimidation and how it had not really been used by teams like that before. Um, so he, he thought that was pretty interesting because he felt like he was the better man in fight wise, you know, to, to Ted Green and some of the other Bruins and so, you know, you got to kind of like look for some of that information on him. And, 
if you're really into this, you, you know, it's, you can find it. You know, if you yep. just got to do a little digging. For sure. But, uh, well, another one, another <laughs> Dave Brown versus Larry Playfair. Yeah, I mentioned this on my chat to you earlier. Um, you know, this is like, wow. Like, two, you know, just, you know, two nuclear warheads going off, right? You know, two all-time greats, you know, two totally feared fighters in, in their respective era. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I, maybe I'm... Maybe I am a little biased because I got to see Brown's career and I got to see what he did and I kind of grew up with Brown. But, you know, there's a part of me that feels that Brown is going to pull some shenanigans against a guy like Playfair. You know, like I can totally see him getting the fast jump, you know, on um, on Playfair and taking a fight to him and, and winning a fight that way. Um, you know, not to say that, you know, it couldn't happen some other way. I just, you know, knowing Brown the way I do, he was one of those guys that, you know, oh, you don't want to fight me? Fuck you, you fight me. You know what I mean? And yeah. you know, he would even, even maybe even like sneak attack you. You know, try to get you, you know, at the face off uh, when you weren't ready. You know what I mean? So I can see a scenario like that playing out. You know, and I, I kind of have Brown winning this, this one. You know, you know, using something like that, getting a jump. You know, get scoring a bunch of less early. You know, getting the win that way. Yeah, I mean, same. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and again, I'll I will plead ignorant on Larry Playfair. I mean, I've seen some stuff. I've never done the deep dive on him. You really can't do the deep dive on him. There's not a lot of footage. But uh, big guy matches up size wise with him. But yeah, I think Brown was just, um, yeah, like if he if I don't want to say if he knew he was going to be out mad, whatever. But yeah, like you said, he would he wouldn't have any problems with. You know, I could just see him sort of line up with the face-off talk, and then all of a sudden you just see Brown drop his shit, right? And then the lefts get going, yep. and then Playfair is kind of playing catch-up. And, uh, you know, and would hang, but Brown would just sort of, you know, again, either way, like if someone said the other way, okay, fine, you know, but uh, I just, I don't know. To me, I'm like, just Brown wins because he's just such a prick. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, and I mean that. I mean that with all, like, lovingly say that, right? I mean that's just the way it was, and uh, he wasn't going to play fuck around, and uh, yeah, I mean that's that's quite the match. Did they ever fight though? Uh, Brown and Playfair. Yeah, like uh, I, don't know. I know, I know, I know. McSorley fought Playfair, um, but I don't think that Brown fought. But I know Brown fought Semenko. Um, but no, I'm, I don't think I ever recall a Playfair Brown scrap. So I think, oh, imagine though. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, and I think well, because I think there, as Brown there was, was some, sort of there was some overlap. Yeah, I mean, but not like I think it was sort of more towards the end of obviously Playfair's career, but um, when Brown was kind of coming in. But yeah, that, yeah, well, I couldn't. Yeah, that would have been something. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, if those two want to go, no doubt. Well, I know this next one would be something, and this is going to cause. I, this might cause a little fire on Twitter. This will be interesting. This one, Eric Goddard versus Tony Twist. Man, I mean, what, what have we said about Goddard? Right? Didn't we always say uh, he sort of fights down to his competition sometimes? Yep. You know, he was inconsistent at times. You know, he seems like, oh my God, coming out of AHL, Jesus, he's something else. 
you know, you almost kind of had this feeling like this guy, this guy could put together. He had like the skills. He could be like the next champ. Um, but um, I will say, what a, an incredible uh, resume that the that he has as far as sort of taking out the big, you know, slaying the dragon, you know, um, right? Derek Bugard, and then he, and he, you know, Bugard seemed like he was such a beast and on such a tear, and then then you had uh, McLaren. I mean, excuse me, um, not McLaren, McIntyre. Yeah. You know, and uh, so it's, you know, he's, he had that knack to kind of, you know, because he has a puncher's chance against anybody. Just, you know, great skill set as a fighter. Um, and Twist, we all know him, you know, kind of like the beast with, you know, ferocious power, and, you know, strength and, you know, totally feared type of fighter, you know. But uh, in this one here, you know, if these two guys, you know, were to get together and hypothetical i'm just i'm loving this the backdrop of here i just because i, I want to say that goddard comes in here and slays another beast and um he beats tony twist um and another upset special goddard another legend down um so i i'm, I'm gonna take goddard in this one i know some people aren't going to agree you know but i really i i love twist i think he's awesome but they were in an exchange if you can catch twist you know, you could win. I mean, Billy Hewitt, you know, proved that, and uh, LaRue proved that. So, even even Todd Ewan, you know, um, say what you want about that fight against Todd Ewan and Twist. Uh, you know, Ewan caught Twist, dropped him. Um, you know, so Goddard has that kind of power, and I think he stands in there in a brief exchange. He catches Twist. It's almost like we rehearsed this. Like I'm just a sycophant over here, agreeing with everything you're saying. But, <laughs> but yeah, I same thing. I think Goddard weathers the storm, and I I think Goddard does kind of kind of like what Mackenzie did to Twist. You know, he would just get in there, take the shots, but I think he would just with the hand speed and coming straight down the pipe on him. I think I think Goddard takes him. Yeah, for sure. Not for sure, but I think uh, I yeah. I'm picking God. I'd pick Goddard to win this one. Now again, if somebody said Twist, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. But I don't know. I just think Goddard withstands it and catches him. Yeah, and, it, and it, it, wouldn't it be funny too if um, you know he 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 he's able to catch Twist and scores a knockdown victory, right? And then in the third period, he takes on Chase, and it's just a draw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, what the yeah, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, that that would be that would be, would be something I could see happening, you know, because he just yeah. had that way where he could tear tear apart the killers, you know, and then yeah. then somehow you'd be like, gee, yeah. wow, he just didn't look so good in that second fight, you know. But yeah, Lo- but, yeah loses yeah, on I, the scorecard to Rudy Poshak late in the third. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I could uh, no, I could completely see that. Yeah, no, exactly. Fights Chase in the third and. You know, and it's just kind of there, and it's a draw, and whatever. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that was always my knock on Goddard. It was like, yeah, he'd fight to the competition, and uh, but yeah, when when he was pissy and into it, yeah, there's there wasn't there was few. Well, like you talked to all those guys, all the guys I've interviewed on my show and everything. Yeah, the hand to God, man. But you don't want to mess with that. Yeah, yeah when he's in a mood, no, nah, nope. But uh, oh, the next one. Oh, the Buffalo fans will just be torn. Brad May versus Eric Bolton. Yeah, this is, um, you know, I actually had to look up to see if these guys had ever met up, you know, later, you know, because I, I know May, you know, kind of, 
you know, hung along and still, still, you know, would drop the gloves, you know, for, you know, a few years, you know, and I wasn't sure if these guys had ever met up or battled, but, but, uh, it's a, this is a great little matchup too, because Baltimore was sort of like fought the heavyweights, you know, and, and, and Brad May was one of those guys that kind of fought like a wide range of guys, you know, different fighters. You can't, you know, he kind of had that like almost like power forward you know, type of fight card where he was taking on all kinds of different fighters, you know, and uh, I loved May, especially when he was younger with Buffalo. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, just great power, both hands, could switch hands really good. It was, you know, I, I, what a, you know, what a great you know, skill set as a fighter, you know, and um, I kind of, I used to call him like a middleweight, you know, that's kind of how I used to view him, you know, he wasn't really like a heavyweight, he didn't take on the big guns, but, you know, he would take on his hawker, you know, he would take on guys like that, you know, and, um, you know, and this fight here in Bolton, I mean, that guy just brings it down there every time, he, you know, he swings away. It's, I, I love watching his fights because he's not like the biggest guy, but he would sit there and just rear back and throw bombs, you know, and, um, you know, this fight here would be just, if they're really going at it and trying to rip at each other, this could be something special. This fight could be one of the, the you know, the sleeper fights of the first round in terms of action pack, you know, all out viciousness, you know, but I'm going to say that I think May, May pulls off a slight upset here just, because of the hand speed and the ability to switch, I think he's able to, you know, land a little bit more than Bolton. Um, but yeah, that's how I have this one. Well, there we go. The first time we could disagree. There we go. Okay. <laughs> but either way, like some, like I said, this is what again one of those. Either way, I'm a huge. I'm actually. I probably as a fan, if I'm going to put my fandom into this, I am actually a, a, a Brad May fan over here at Bolton. But um, either way, I could see it going either way. I think Bolton. Myself, I think maybe Bolton. I'd have to go back and look at the fight card, but I think I think Bolton maybe me more of a heavyweight than May was. Because I mean, obviously May oh, was the, yeah. May was the better player. Um, so I think that's probably why I lean that way. Like I, 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 that's the only reason. Really, that's my only really reason. I guess is Bolton was more of the fighter than May was. But then at the same time, I mean. I think May had the thunder that Bolton didn't have. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think May had the thunder Bolton didn't have. Maybe. The thing that I always say with May, I think where I kind of where kind of went like May because I always thought May was like the shotgun to Ray. Like Ray was the heavyweight and then it was May and you know whatever and May was fighting Tockets and stuff and you know but when May dropped Baumgartner with the first shot with one punch I was kind of, oh shit. Uh, alright. He's, yeah, it, that sort of changed my view of Brad May a little bit. Cause I'd never seen that happen to Baumgartner before. And it was just like, yeah. okay, okay. You well, know what it was? That was a vicious one too. He, he punched him while he was down out yeah, too, right? Yeah, well, that was the other one too. Yeah. yeah, and it was like, you know, and, and well, and that was the thing. Like, you go back and watch some of those. May, May was a motherfucker too. I mean, he'd hit oh, yeah. you when you were down, and what? I mean, nothing. I give a shit. I mean, you're in a fight. You're in a fight. But yeah, he wasn't afraid to get mean when he had to. He could be a mean dude, and it was like, uh, yeah, you know. When I think, I think he had a mean streak that Bolton didn't have. I might be wrong there, but I, I, you know, Bolton was much more of the classic. Okay, we're done. We're done, kind of thing. Where I may had no problem. I think drilling you if you were down, or if the refs were, and he didn't mm-hmm. care. Not that he did it a yeah. lot, but he would do it. And, uh, yeah, either way, but I mean, I guess if I had to vote, I would actually probably vote Bolton if I was voting. 
But uh, I'm a huge fan of both these guys. I don't know. And, uh, yeah. There we go. It'd be a hell of a matchup either way. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes in terms of the Twitter voting. For sure. Well, we're almost down. We're down the last two fights here. And this next one, this is a man... Glenn Cochran and the boogie, the boogeyman, Derek Bugard. Well, I'll pull a Cochran. He just drives the short straw in this one. Um, I, I mean, at his peak, you know, in the, I'd say in the early to mid-80s, Cochran would be, you know, <clears throat> first off, he was arguably the first guy to start jersey shedding as a tactic, you know, who we actually, like, actually appeared to want to get his jersey off, you know, in fights to get loose and, and beat on guys. Um, you know, and I think that kind of gave him, or gives him, something of a an X factor, uh, you know, makes him something of a wild card in some of these hypothetical fights, you know. And um, Well, that being said, though, I mean, it's really hard for me to find any scenario where Cochran beats a prime Derek Bugard. I mean, is is I mean, as much as I like Cochran for his just savage all-out, you know, um, you know, punching style and you know the sort of sort of Captain Caveman persona he had, you know, and the missing tooth and the jutting jar and all that, but there's just nothing I that you know is going to lead me to believe that he can you know withstand withstand you know the kind of punishment that Bugard can bring. You know um, the kind of thunder that 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 Bugard brings. It's, I just don't see it. You know, as much as I like Cochran, I think Bugard wins this one pretty handily. Man, we'll leave it at that. I yeah, I can just see Bugard pulling the jersey and Cochran coming out of it. But as he's coming out of it, just Bugard punching downhill, and all of a sudden, you know, Cochran's trying to get trying to duck away, and uh, it just goes down. And uh, yeah, I, I just I just think Bugard would just avalanche him. I think and. Yeah, but I mean, I'm a huge Cochran guy. I love Cochran, but yeah, Boogie, nah. Yeah, you're not, he ain't doing much against Boogie, I don't think. But, um, well, here we are, the final the final fight of the fifth annual Bob Probert Invitational first round. The Bomber, Kenny Baumgartner versus Todd Fedoric. Yeah, this is, um, you know, kind of in the first round, in a, you know, with a very interesting matchup here, too. Um, you know, some very interesting styles here, you know, Fridge and in Baumgartner and you know Baumgartner I remember kind of I used to like kind of look at his style as, I used to be like oh well he's like a technical fighter you know um, even though they call him Bomber you know I didn't really remember him putting a lot of heads to bed you know but he's different than a lot of the technical fighters that we usually talk about um, and I, I he's just kind of like a a very awkward style of fighting um, from 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 Baumgartner, he could switch hands pretty well. He was good at tying up. He did use that cross grip, uh, but he also did this sort of, you know, pull behind your back collar and try to tug you down. He would sort of step back and pull you off balance. He had a lot of different little wrinkles that he would throw, and it made him made him somewhat different. But when you saw a fight, you could almost tell that it was Baumgartner fighting. You know, if you didn't really know, sometimes I'd be able to ID some of his AHL fights just by telling that awkward style of fighting that he had you know he's he wasn't like a totus ho guy but he wasn't really a stamina guy you know he there was something about his style that was a little bit different that i that i really liked you know um you know where i like also like fridges is sort of like more offensive style fighter you know uh kind of like went to the left a lot more um in this fight here i just you know as much as i like fridge i kind of think baumgartner pulls this one off you know i think 
Lethbridge is going to be looking to open this fight up and really make it a battle, but Baumgartner is going to kind of pull him into his kind of fight, you know, pull him off balance, you know, and try to score points that way. You know, that's kind of how I think this fight breaks down, you know. Like like you said, I wouldn't really argue, you know, if anyone was to turn around and say that Bridge could pull this one out because, you know, a lot of these fights, the difference is just a punch or two, you know. Yeah, well, and that's the thing with this fight. I, I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I have this image of like the Cox Baumgartner fight. I have that image for this fight for some reason. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't no, know what it, it very well happened like that. Well, and I, for whatever reason, and I might be completely out to lunch, and it just sort of dawned on me now as you were talking. Fedorik reminds me a lot of Craig Cox in just their styles. Like, they kind of just go at it, and they'll eat a few. And, I mean, well, and Fedorik's face tells the story. I mean, you know, he, he's basically got his face broken, like, multiple times, you know. Yeah. And, well, how Craig Cox never got his face broken, I'll never know either. But they they just have that wide open, and they'll eat a few. And, I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of both of them. Um, but, yeah, they just kind of got that. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm, I don't know. I'm just seeing Cox and Fedoric together for some reason. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, but Bomber, like you said, yeah, technician guy and kind of just, I, I couldn't imagine. He'd be very, he, to me, he seemed like he'd be really frustrating to fight. Like, and I, he, you know, he could obviously hit, too, which made it a little, like, a little different, too. So not only is he, like, wrapping you up. I mean, you'd swear that probably the dude had three arms. By the time you were done fighting him, you know, but um, yeah, he, he he and he had this thing too, like if I mean you have to really like like cause sometimes that's what I would do. I would sit there and just like watch these fighters and break them down. And he had a lot of short punching. I don't I don't know really how to explain it other than you know while he's working your jersey and working his you know the you know the hand position, he would just you know kind of just come up with a quick right hand you know just and just drag it it wasn't really so much a punch to your face as he's just dragging his fist across your face as he's getting a grip and he would do little things like that i used to always say wow i like the i like the way he kind of you know he could the way his inside fighting you know the way he would kind of approach it you know he, he always had like a fist kind of in your face like you said it seemed like you had like a third arm sometimes you know it's tying you up and then there's a he's jamming a fist in your face and you know, he's pulling you off balance, and then there's another fist coming at you from a different angle. You know, he's, um, you know, certainly, I, I, I want to say, kind of unique in his style. You know, in, in some in some ways, not your traditional technical fighter, but you know, um, different, but in a good way. No, exactly. Yeah, no, and I'm a huge bomber fan. I love him. I've watched. Yeah, and it's just like he had that same kind of, yeah, the same style throughout, and and again, a guy that didn't lose many, and yeah. It's, uh, it'll be an interesting matchup, but uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a real, a real interesting, uh, another interesting tournament for the year. And uh, I think it should. I think these matchups are going to create some controversy. I think a few of them. Oh yeah, and you know, I, I, I don't doubt at all that you're going to have a few of those. Like, okay, uh, we got a tiebreaker situation coming up. You know, with a few of these matchups, just because of how close they are, yeah, you know, how evenly matched up they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be a few. For some odd reason, two hundred and you know, or whatever, four hundred and forty-one votes, but it's a tie. Uh, again, I don't know who's <laughs> who's doing the polling at Twitter. Um, I'm not sure how their math, their math works, but um, um, I don't know. 
I said somehow these assholes will still troll and figure out a way to vote undecided. You know, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I hate having to be the the guy because I can't vote; it won't let me vote. So it's like I got to be the 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 decision, I guess. But uh, yeah, there's been some tough ones over the years too. I got some heat over a few of them, but uh, yeah, but it'll it'll be an interesting tournament. It's always fun to do, and uh, uh, not my favorite. My favorite one's the minor league one. I I'm my heart's in the minors. What can I say? The minor league mayhem tournament is sort of my favorite one, but uh, I do enjoy this one, and uh, hopefully it'll get uh, some rejuvenate some life into Twitter. Because I don't know what it is. I was saying to Alec the other day, uh, Twitter's been dead, man. There hasn't been a lot of action going on Twitter. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I've I've actually found myself like, let me follow more people. <laughs> follow more people, get more discussion going, you know, something like that. Because sometimes I don't follow back like I'm supposed to. I don't know how the etiquette works. I'm supposed to follow back when someone follows you or something. But so I try. Sometimes I try to. You know, maybe if I can open up to a bigger audience, you know, there'll be more going on. But, yeah, you're right. It seems like it's kind of quieted down on Twitter land. Yeah, like I know a lot of uh, some of my followers, I've talked to them, and I know they've just left Twitter because they're like, you know, whether it be the politics or, you know, the the pandemic and all that stuff, they just had enough. And I completely get it. I agree. But because uh, it's like even now you put up some pictures and where they used to get maybe, you know, 80 or 90 retweets, they're getting 20. And it's like, okay, well... You know, I think a lot of the I think a lot of old school guys are leaving. I mean, I think still hockey Twitter with the young crew, the Generation Z. I think that's alive and well. <laughs> but I mean, and whatever. I mean, it's and I mean that's their Twitter is basically their platform. Like, I mean, if you if they broke it down to demographics, I mean, you and I are certainly on the back nine. You know, we're not really well represented on Twitter. I don't think, and it's definitely okay, a young man. Exactly. I think it's definitely yeah, a young okay, man's boomer. thing. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, we're going to ask these Gen Zers to pick a winner between friggin' Terry O'Reilly and Ben Wilson. We're going to make their head spin here. So, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe they'll have Reeves winning the whole thing. That, w- that would cause some yeah, controversy. Yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they know, like, yeah, exactly. And then it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to write down after, because I haven't posted the, I haven't posted the bracket yet. I'm going to do that on Wednesday when I release this episode, but. When I post the bracket, I'm going to write down this year how many times I get asked why Probert's not in it. Because I'm going to be I'm curious. <laughs> uh, I, well, I got one already. I'm not going to say who did it in DM either. But uh, <laughs> actually, I noticed while you were talking, I just kind of scrolled Twitter because I had mentioned on Twitter that we're, uh, we're on the air here. And uh, yeah, the one guy there, he wants me to, uh, he can't wait for the discussion. I'm supposed to open it up to say, uh, yeah. Who is not in the tournament? He wants to read that thread. Yeah, because last year, uh, yeah. last year I got chastised for not having Jay Caulfield in it by I believe Caulfield's cousin or something. Got real heated with How me. How could that you I, leave Caulfield out of it? Yeah, well, he goes, "Haven't you ever heard of a guy named Jay Caulfield?" I'm like, "Well, I've heard of him, yeah, but you know, I'm like, I was gonna say, well, clear, hopefully that guy didn't listen to my uh, my podcast episode two two weeks ago." When I when I read off the fifteen worst enforcers of all time, according to like Sports Rage website, and Jay Caulfield took the number one spot, so uh, oh. <laughs> you know that was an interesting list. But yeah, uh, yeah. So he's a little, so yeah. Unfortunately, no. Jay Caulfield uh, is not in this one. Nor, and I'm not knocking Jay, but the, I can tell you now, from here on out, 
Jay Caulfield will never be in a Bob Bob Probert Invitational Tournament. Sorry, buddy. You know. He doesn't get an invite. No, I think him and Robert, (laughs) Tori Robertson and Brian Curran will have to sit these out. Well, they'll just live in our memories. Yeah, we'll throw Eddie Castellick in there, too. He's another one I'd probably want to make it. Yeah, there you go. And Neil Shee, <laughs> Neil Sheehy rocking the double zeros. Yeah, it's uh Yeah, I remember I remember watching that one fight Nick or it was in Hartford I think and he's wearing number 0 and I'm just like fuck, of course you are. Of course you would, Neil. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. And every time he'd fight the announcers would talk about these uh, gold gloves boxer from Harvard. I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, that I used to get a kick out of that. I'd be like, I'm, uh, the first thing you say is like, Harvard has a boxing club? Like, you gotta be shitting me, really? Like, uh, but, but it is what it is. But yeah, what a story that was, which was a total hoax, but. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, well, if, yeah. If Harvard had a boxing team, they weren't winning much. We'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> now with Neil she is a champ. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's your representative that we're throwing out here. Well, I don't think Yale has anything to worry about. But uh, anyway, sir, I know I've taken a lot of your time tonight, and I know it's late there with the time difference. But uh, once again, I, uh, I thank you for coming on and, and doing this. This is uh, th- this is actually one of the highlights I get, uh, and not only doing the Twitter tournament and getting all that going, but to do these episodes with you and breaking them down. I always enjoy it. Oh man, yeah! Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love doing these little breakdowns. I love talking fights. I very rarely get a chance to do it, so that's, this is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, a therapy for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I really enjoy it. I uh, look forward to it. Uh, you know, really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Well, excellent. I appreciate it, and uh, look forward to reading about your comments when the tournament's on. Steve's always Steve's always good to get things rolling. So. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I look forward to it. But uh, anyway, Matt, I'll let you go. But uh, thank you very much again. No, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Be safe. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 